Hey, yo, internets, you're tuned into the Combat Jack Get Show. Get ready for combat. Combatjackshow.com. What up, Get Dallas Penn? Combat, combat. How you feel, brother? I'm great. What up, Premier P? What's going on, combat? I'm great. Cheer. Yeah. What are we talking about right now? Man, combat, man, for the, the fourth year in a row. Yeah. We didn't make it to South by Southwest. <laughs> you know what? I made it to South by Southwest two years ago. I said we. Okay, as a collective. Yes. Man, we are fucking up, man. I'm seeing all types of Shit might individuals be over. and people. Yeah, why, why might it be over? I mean, there, there was a hit and run massacre. I mean, maybe oh, that shit was crazy. South man. by Southwest reached critical mass. Yo, when that shit happened, did you not pray to your God that that would not be a person of color? Real talk. And when I looked and seen his big fat black face, oh damn! Did you you didn't know he was a person of color? I knew it was a person of color, but I didn't know it was a big fat black. No, it's not a fat. I'm just saying it was a black dude with dreadlocks who fucking went down to South by Southwest. He was he was confirmed to be a rapper on the struggle on some struggle stage, Mm. but he was out there drinking, and the cops was doing like a random like sobriety fucking stop, and he went fucking berserk. That should hurt my soul, man. He's going under. Yo, he's done, man. But, you know, I'm glad people came back. I mean, we got, I guess tonight is Talib Kweli. He talked about being at South by Southwest, man. What'd you think about this whole white man march, man? The white man march that popped off. White man march. Premium. I I feel feel like, Pete, you should have been leading that white man march. What'd you feel about? Did you You feel surprised? Because this is a bunch of white men who don't know how to access their privilege. What'd you feel about that shit, man? It's not for me. Did you go? No. Where did I go? I'm, it's a white man you march. Could've, you could have been the spokesman. Been like, white people, Yeah, <laughs> y'all don't know how to access your privilege yet. Mm-hmm. And that's why you feel set upon you know what's by really these colors. Crazy, though, man. This whole thing that it's weird. Would you talk man. like that, though, Pete? Never happened. This That's whole good. thing that diversity means white genocide, mm. <laughs> which is crazy to me. But then. But it's you, reality, though, combat. But if you think about it, if there is true diversity. Then there will be a blending, that, of but is that genocide or is that a continuation of evolution? You know I mean, you know what I'm saying. All I know is that if I fuck a white, that baby is a black. <laughs> <laughs> this whole shit is crazy. Me, listen, man. We, we we got a great show lined up. We got my Dukes, which is Jay Dilla's mom, in the, in, the, in the studio tonight. Yes, yes. And we got Talib Kweli. We got a lot to talk Quali. about. But I want I want to read uh, one of the letters that I got. It's not necessarily a question, but this one is pretty interesting, man. You guys know about this dude, De Niro Black? De Niro Black, I've been seeing him on the gram. Campaigning. Oh, he's been fucking harassing us. Yeah. Sending us every week. Yeah. He fucking sends us artwork artwork about De Niro Black on the Combat Jack show. Mm. And I really don't even know what to make of this guy because, you know, I can't fault somebody for being so enthusiastic. No. But no. sometimes you don't know what's going on behind that enthusiasm. Are these motherfuckers crazy? <laughs> Are they stalking us? You know what I'm saying? So, you know, we talked about this whole Foams and Finger Guns campaign and how we want to do this mixtape. I get this email, man, and it's, it's pretty interesting, man. It says, starts off, Mr. Osei, as you are aware, <laughs> De Niro Black has taken the liberty of designing a cover for the foams and finger guns mixtape. He did design this mock cover for this foams and finger guns mixtape. I seen he it. Did. The people wanted the Theotis one. I mean we we I mean Listen. Danielle, we still gotta go with Theotis. Yeah. Right. But you 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 piqued my interest. You caught yes. our attention. Yes. And you caught the attention of the internets. Continuing on, it says, to show you how serious we are, we've enclosed a track titled Foams and Finger Guns by De Niro Black 
featuring Combat Jack, Dallas Penn, and Premium Pete, produced by me, the executive. Mm. We look forward to hearing back from you. We are serious. <laughs> if you are. Cheer. Thank you, De Niro Black and Q, the executive. And they sent us a fucking track, man. So, you know, I, I don't know what to make of this. I, you guys are really intriguing me. And I think the only way we can give back at this moment, because we are, we, we're not even that organized yet. The, the, this mixtape is something that we're going to do in the near future, but we haven't even started yet. I no, mean, no. Dallas I mean, got I mean, I mean hold on for a second. Hold on for and a helping second. motherfuckers flourish with polo. Hold, and hold, hold on for a second. Hold on for a second. I mean, we've talked about it. Yes. And, and we're mixing the pot. We're mixing this pot but up. But you motherfuckers are really making this really happen. They, they, listen, the internet's waits for no man. <laughs> That's correct. The internet none. waits for no man. So I'm just saying I'm honored. I know other people have been submitting tracks, but none of y'all have been putting in this time and this effort to get noticed like De Niro Black mm-hmm. and Cutie Executive. Their gusto yes. is unmatchable. Right. So listen. They might be crazy. Y'all might be fucking crazy, but we're going we're gonna to bless the internet. We're about to play this Foams and Finger Guns track by De Niro Black. Let's go to a music break. When we come back, we'll tell you how we feel about the internet. Hit us up at combatjack at gmail.com. Ask us those questions. Let us know what you think about this foam and Finger Guns track. Let us know what you think about De Niro Black. I mean, yeah, De Niro Black. Hit us. Let's go to a music break. Combat Jack Show. CombatJackShow.com. F your podcast. F your radio. F your TV. Finger guns are out here getting little niggas killed. Since when has finger guns become such a threat? Why are they so threatening right now? Finger guns are a problem. They were always a problem for black kids. We didn't even know that. But now that they're a problem for white kids now too, now it's an epidemic. Who got phones on? N- nobody had. Nobody had phones on. The we think, we think he's referring to phone posit, Nike phone posit sneakers, but a signature of like, like like black people now is that you identify pe- black people by phone posit? That's niggas like phones. phones. I'm a gangster, I don't dress like a gentleman Phones for the feet and guns for the fingering Mingle with them niggas that'll slay you like Desi Daz Black diamonds still shining in the Jesus head Got a chopper for my haters, my only fear is the feds And a motherfucker snitching on me later Jump over the competition, I'm John Wall with the spitting John Wood in the rap, putting niggas back in position Transforming on niggas in three steps, I ain't set. But you gon' hear a star scream if I take it to the streets next uh, If you knew better, you do better 2014 Olympic polo sweater Styling on these niggas while I take they bitch Finger gun poses when I'm taking flicks We the new mob, come see me if there's a problem I went in on everything from the south of France to Harlem I got them Finger guns They're making finger guns They, they probably had a phone posits Fuck phone posits Phones and finger guns <laughs> Fuck your finger guns Stop wearing them phone posits They shooting at phones right now Phone posits are bulletproof They shooting at phone posits Put them phones down Phone posits are bulletproof Hey yo, who got phones on? Yeah Want you just catching up in the mustard colored whip with the Thule tuck? I'm the general, so you don't want a war with mine. I had your phone posits hanging from the power line. My brainstorms lead the lead when the shower time. Watch the 
killing from a block away, that's the Gotti vibe. Lord forgive me, I'm just trying to make a living. Fuck gas in them too, I'ma make these niggas listen, okay? These niggas be playing them games, I'm just moving them things. These niggas dressing like queens, but they claiming a king. Before Jane and Jermaine, money wasn't a thing. I'm better than your favorite, no need to say his name. Bitches catching feelings like I threw it at her. Money in the ceiling, bitch, I need a ladder. One of one, that mean there's nothing coming after. Even Laura Charles will tell you I'm the fucking master. They look at all our feet and none of us had phones. None of us had phones on. And he's like, you can't get in. Fuck phone posits, phones and finger guns. Finger guns. No. They're making finger guns. They, they probably had on phone posits. Fuck your finger guns. Stop wearing them phone posits. They shooting at phones right now. Phone posits are bulletproof. They shooting at phone posits. Put them phones down. Phone posits are bulletproof. Finger guns are out here getting little niggas killed. Since when has finger guns become such a threat? Why are they so threatening right now? Finger guns are a problem. They were always a problem for black kids. We didn't even know that. But now that they're a problem for white kids now too, now it's never done. Internet, you tuned into the Combat Jack get Show, the Combat, Combat Jack Combat. Show. Uh, uh, Woo! Uh, uh, so, get ready what, for Combat. What you think about that De Niro Black, Dallas Penn? Um, De Niro Black, man, is, he sounds like, man, he doesn't even need a finger gun. He sounds like he's got a regular gun mm. that he's ready to pop off. Real guns. A real gun. Mm. A regular gun, like one with bullets. Mm. You know? Maybe some cop killer bullets. Oh, my God. All I know, man, is that kid is so determined, man, every week. He's hitting the Instagram. We we gotta we gotta show him some work. kind of love, combat. He's got a team too, combat. I, a... I don't want him stalking us to the point where he comes up to the studio with real guns. Yeah, now we don't want that. And his goons. And his goons. Anyway, let's 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 let's, let's address our glorious guest that we have in the studio today. Fam. I mean, I'm so honored. We have first and foremost, yes, my Dukes, Ms. Yancey. What up? The late Jay Dilla's mother yes. in the studio with us tonight. This is such an honor. Welcome to the Combat Jack Show. Well, thank you. I'm honored to be here. How are you feeling? I'm feeling great. Really? It's you, good. You sound great. I feel great. <laughs> it's good to be in New York. Good, good, good. And then we got Talib Kweli in the building. Shit. Yes. Now, this is your first time on the podcast. You've been on the Complex right. TV show, but we've never had you. This is the official. The official. The yes. official. Yes. Word up. Well, welcome to the to the building in the Nah, Combat man. It's been, it's been a long time coming, man. Yes, sir. Yeah. Now, now, explain to the internets why you guys are here together. All right. Want to tell um, yeah, I told at Webster Hall. Yes. Um, I believe the date is, y'all might have to school me on a date, 22nd? 23rd. 23rd. Sunday. 23rd. Sunday, Sunday, March 23rd is New York City's first official, you know, tribute to Jay Dilla concert. First mm. annual. First yes. annual. First, yeah. Yes. First annual is a funny term because it right. doesn't become the first annual until you do the second one. Right. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's, 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 so far it's the first. Yeah. And my next year it'll be the second Second annual. annual. Yeah, yes. That's when yes. you can pop your collar. That's when you can be like, yes, we do this annually. Now, how did you guys come together? With oh regard to God. this. With regard to this, well, you know, foundation reaches out. Mm -hmm. Talib is a staple. He's always there. You know, he, he's there. Okay. 24-7, I can reach him. He supports all the time. Mm -hmm. And he's in our corner. You and, know. That's and, a mutual thing, too. And, and the foundation felt that, that, that Talib would be like the perfect oh, spokesperson for New York. Of course he is. Okay. <laughs> I mean, I feel, I feel, you know, humbled and blessed and honored to even be thought of as that, you know, um, my journey with Dilla has been a long, long journey, but yes. I still, in my head, you know how you see yourself 
as you were when you were a teenager or as you were in college or when I see myself as that same person. Right. I see myself as a fan of Jay Dilla, Slum Village. I don't see my I don't necessarily see myself as like in the inner circle. Okay. You know, that's not how I see my but people but you know, as but I but I but I've been I've worked with him in many different situations and, and it's like you know, it's like I don't feel as close to Jay Dilla as like a Q tip. Right or Questlove, right or Common, or these are artists who was working with him before when I was just a fan of them. Right when I was when I was their fan. You so know you got let into the club while their club was still popping. Yeah, right. so I just feel you know I'm just feel supremely humbled and uh, you know to even be associated it to even to, for my name to even come up. Right with Jay Dilla. Now now this is the question I have. Um, I'm familiar with with, with with Dilla's contributions to the game. Yes, but I hear so many people say that Dilla, if he wasn't the best, he's one of the top five. Explain to our audience what makes Dilla that that special as a producer. You know, we have our we have our Michael Jacksons and our and our James Browns and people like that. People who have taken taken the art and the craft and mastered it to such a level where they they it goes beyond the craft. It's it's, it's something 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 else, something spiritual, something esoteric. And in the realm of hip hop. Jay Dilla represents that. He represents our Michael Jackson, our Beatles, our James Brown, our Stevie Wonders, you know, like those those artists. Um, the type of hip hop he created was was it was like it was like he was creating actual hip hop and everybody else was striving to create that sound. Okay. So when you heard so when Tropical Quest was working on their music, they heard Jay Dilla and they're like that's closer to what we're trying to do mm-hmm. than, than what we're, we, do, than than what what we're doing. doing. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, when, when D'Angelo, Badu, Questlove, you know, when the, when it was just beat tapes and early Slum Village Fantastic albums that were circulating on cassette through the industry, there was no you know record deal with, with you know major label deal with Slum Village at that point. Right. It was just like, okay, it's just like, you know, Q-Tip and Pete Rock and Busta Rhymes and these, these artists who were going out to Detroit. It's just like, you know, Pete Rock, you know, Q-Tip, Busta Rhymes, they were leaving New York City going to Detroit looking for a sound they had been trying to accomplish. Which was, in a sense, unheard of at the time because cats weren't necessarily leaving New York. No, nah, and you, you was coming to New York for that sound. Right, exactly. Yeah. So, so you're saying then that his music has a certain vibration. Yeah, that's a perfect word. A certain mm-hmm. vibration. Yeah. It's, it's interesting because, you know, I, I'm a rap fan. I've been a rap fan for most of my life. But I still, you know, when, it, when compared to you, I still think I have pedestrian ears. But I heard this story last night about how a uh, young guru had been hearing so much about Dilla mm-hmm. and how phenomenal he was and how he worked that he specifically booked studio time, not for a particular project, but he booked studio time to work with Dilla to see if he was the real deal. And when he worked and he got in the studio, he actually saw that. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I have, you know, me, I have similar, when I worked with Dilla on quality album, right. you know, at that point, I it was like, um, you know, I remember that, that night that I was working, I had flown to Detroit and Frank and Dan could pick me up in a limousine and they had fur coats on. And, you know, it was, it, was, it was real Detroit, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> and, uh, you know, they, they got Frank and Dan song pause when he's like, a penthouse uh, a thing on top of my mom's crib. They took me there. It wasn't quite a penthouse, you know what I'm saying? But, <laughs> but I got the point, you know right. what I'm saying? And, um, you know, there was, it, was the, it was the Grammys was on. Mm. And Badu and The Roots was nominated for Grammys, maybe mm-hmm. even Common, for records that Dilla produced. Right. Mm-hmm. And we was, he had just gotten his apartment or this house or whatever, I think it was a townhouse, mm-hmm. and there was nothing in there besides like a couch and a TV and records right. and the equipment. 
I think Kareem Riggins was there that night. And the Grammys was on, and records that he had produced was nominated for Grammys. He wasn't even watching. Right. You know, he's working on these beats. And I was like, you not I'm watching the Grammys. He's like, nah, I'm 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 digging. Right. You know what I'm saying? It's like the accolades meant nothing. Mm. Now, 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 my Dukes, I've read so many stories about Dilla and how um he necessarily wasn't an accolades person or a public person like that. He was not. Not at all. Explain that. Like, how was he not? Like, you know, most of us. Yes, and I would, I, I would, I would, I would say, I would even attest to, to, to Talib. Part of this stuff, of course, is to get your voice out, to get your music out. But part of it is also, also the accolades. Accolades feel good. Well, when you work hard, you want, you want acknowledgement. Yes. You know, generally, uh, Dilla was camera shy, mm. so you were lucky to get a picture. Uh, videos are very few. Might have with the two, maybe, and that was arm twisting. You know, and. Um, he felt that if his music was good and people listened to it, that was all that he wanted was for somebody to like it, you know, for it to be a good, clean product, for him not to find a lot to go back in and redo. Because there was a lot of things that were finished, supposedly, and he'd say, I'll put it back, i got to go back. Because mm-hmm. it was something that it hadn't reached its essence. Mm-hmm. You know, he just wanted a perfect product, and he didn't want to present what he would, most likely say garbage to somebody. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, it wasn't about the money. It was about the quality of the work, you know, something that he could feel proud that he had done. So basically you're saying in terms of the sense of the word, he was a true artist. In he the was sense of the a word. true artist. Right. Yes. Now, it, it's interesting that you mentioned uh, Talib James Brown because I've read that James Brown was his first yes. real musical <laughs> yes. influence. Do you remember? Oh, yes. <laughs> Can you walk us through? <laughs> His encounter before, with James Brown. Before, well, James Brown was a staple in our household. Mm-hmm. My entire family adores James Brown, and we listened to music. My husband played, you know, upright bass and sang jazz. I studied classical. My mom loved country music, so it was like an array of music all day. That's all we did was listen to music, refer to her groups. And um, James Brown, whenever we played James Brown, whenever all was said and done and all groups had done, James Brown was like, right, okay, let's really kick back. Mm-hmm enjoy, have some dinner, drink some wine or whatever. And James Brown was the key. And uh, Dilla was in his infancy listening to James Brown. He was in his playpen. But whenever James Brown music was on, he knew the records. He knew the beats. He knew how many. But you can count the third beat. He'd be up in that playpen dancing like he was walking, and he couldn't walk or stand at that time. Mm. So we, we thought it was funny. You know, we were laughing. Right. we get a kick out of it. You know, so he, he's going to realize he can't stand up in a minute and, you know, panic and then go to the <laughs> side, which always happened. Right. So it was like a joke. We had no idea that he was that tuned into music, mm. that it meant everything to him. And he never changed. Right. He never changed. Uh, the array of music, the, the sound, the listening, the record shopping, we took him record shopping at two because he was spinning records in the park. And this was our way of letting him enjoy fresh air and doing something he liked to do because he never liked anything else but the records. Right. Now, I've read, which is also pretty interesting, that his grandparents mm-hmm. were heavily into music and that they played... For the silent movies. Piano for silent <laughs> yes. movies. So we're yes. talking about, what, the 20s, the 30s? Yes. Where, yes. What kind of movie houses were these? Were they <laughs> black-only movie houses? No, well, actually, when they first started in Virginia, they... they um, weren't allowed to entertain the families going there, but they were able to work there. Right. Mm-hmm. And that's where it, it began. So they both were accomplished pianists. 
and they would play. And, you know, that was one of the jobs that they had, you know, and uh, it was just like that, you know. But then as they, you know, music doesn't die. And once you have it in your soul, you're going to carry it. I don't care. You're going to get it out some kind of way. So it went from there. And I think that most Yanceys are musically, you know, accomplished in some some facet. Now, you mentioned classical, but I also read opera. You you, you yes. studied heavy opera? Well, not heavy. Okay. I mean, of course I did, you know, until I started having children. Right. That was my passion. So you, you sing? Yes, I sing. Opera? Well, I mean, that was what I was... That was what moved me at that time. Right. But now I'm a hip hop head. Okay. So, mm-hmm. so, so you, were you, do you hit notes? Can you hit operatic well, notes? Sure, sure, because that was what I did. You know, I, I don't I only do it when I'm alone. Right. Mm-hmm. Now, because my family, they like I said, we had all genres. Mm-hmm. And even though we all sang in church, even Dilla sang in church choirs, we, um, they weren't, uh, whenever they can detect that type of note coming, because I sang in, the gospel choir, but I also sang in the adult operatic choir, mm-hmm. uh, African Methodist Church. Right. So whenever they would detect that, they would just like want to die inside because they didn't want their mom singing opera, right. you know, which was <laughs> something that I enjoyed doing. You know, it's like, oh, God, no, she's not going to do it. Right. You know, but for me, it was a norm because that's how uh, the beginning of my appreciation for music came, you know. And then my husband, my, after meeting him, I got more into jazz. And I uh, loved that. So we used to sing acapella jazz around the city, you know. Now, when you started having kids, you mentioned it. When you started yes. having kids, and you basically had to, in a sense, give up your passion. No, I didn't give it up. But you, your, your career as— <laughs> I set it back a little. You set yes, it back. Yes, yes. Did you feel, in a sense, um, frustrated or in a sense— I had a terrible void. Right. Didn't know what it was. You know, it was just the music, the right. lack of— of that music and, and giving enough time to soothe my own self, you know, being a full-time mom and a wife and trying to do the best and then taking care of other people's children also during the time because it got to be that I end up having to go into daycare because I had so many other people's children to care for. Right. You know, it's just I'm the kind of person that if you need help, I'm going to do it. If if it's going to make you a better person or make things better in your life, then I'm there, I'm there right. you know. No, so so coming from a from such a classical um, training in a classical mm-hmm. position, when you first, what was your first impression when you first heard hip hop? I liked it. You liked it instantly. <laughs> I liked mm-hmm. it. You know that's unique. <laughs> well, I don't think so. We, I think mentally we close our ears mm-hmm. because we're using the same notes. We're just doing it different. We've taken something the same notes. I don't care what you're playing. It's the same notes. They haven't invented any new ones. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just what we do with it once we receive it and we take it into our soul and we give it back to the world and our concept. So you embrace it. I embrace all music. You, know, I wish you was tuned into the one. You know, I was tuned into the one in the beginning, but all music mm-hmm. is part of another. Mm-hmm. You know, it's all linked. And what was uh, Dilla's? response to hip-hop i mean i i kind of already Dilla, he just like went with it you right. know it made him feel good if, if you'll think about it and notice that most of his hip-hop especially early on had a jazz tinge to it so it's something jazz like that he always carried with him whatever he was doing right you could detect that right now how many instruments did dilla play because oh geez i never counted nobody ever asked me that okay you never he counted. played no nobody ever asked me how many okay. but he played uh, he played flute, he played uh, cello, he played drum, and he played uh, keyboards. And he could just about pick up anything. 
if you give him like 20 minutes, he had it. 20 minutes. Well, he could read well. Right. You know? So did you notice, and I know most moms say mm-hmm. this, but did you notice at an early age that, that, that this child musically is going to be something different? I can't say that early, early on, because it's, although uh, my relatives told me, say, oh, he's going to be something else. And, and I say, oh, yeah. Okay. You know, like most parents, right. you know, like, mm-hmm. but my mind is like, it's already set up that my husband was a, a musician right. for 25 years, but he worked every day for a motor company. Mm. So I'm like, okay, so if he doesn't get a chance to get out the gate, what will he do? Right. So mm-hmm. I tried to steer him away from it. I really did. You know, sending him to aeronautic school and stuff like that. You know that he didn't want to be in. And I, I read about the the, yeah. the conflict, like of in course. terms of you for forcing three years. him for three years. I promised every year for three years until he just like no more. Right. You know? But um, the reason being, I really meant it when I said if you go one year and you don't like it, you know. But he did so well. Anytime you go somewhere and you and you're gonna ace it, and you hate it, but you you ace it. So he pushed through and he did well. He wish he was with just a breeze. Right. So why, if you can do this and take nothing away from you, still DJing on the side? He's tur- he turned the aeronautic school into a platform for DJing. Mm. I mean, they give him parties every two weeks now <laughs> since okay. he's there. So I'm like, well, he hasn't missed a thing, you know. So why not get the best? And when you graduate from high school, you have a year of college already. Right. And that's where I was at. Right. DJ Silk. Yeah, that was him. That was him. <laughs> why <laughs> DJ Silk? Well, I. You know what? He Detroit. never told me, but. Well, I guess so. I mean, mean, Detroit Detroit, is is either DJ Silk or DJ Fur or DJ Gator. (laughs) Well, let me tell you what got got it caught up. Part of what I had to do in order to keep him in that school was to buy him silk shirts to wear to school every day. And so he had to have. Oh, so he was hustling. He hustled me to stay in that school. Mm -hmm. I had to give up something. Right. Mm -hmm. So it had to be Eddie Bauer pants, no other kind. Mm -hmm. It had to be silk shirts. So he went every color. Not Ralph. No. Okay. Every color rainbow. Okay. And you also mentioned that uh, he wasn't at the time, like he was a pioneer in that he wasn't even afraid to like wear pink. Oh, no, he wore pink. Mm. I was proud about that one. Right. I was like, oh, he's, he's now, why a were you, dude. Why were you proud? I felt that he knows he's a man, so he's not threatened by wearing the pink shirt. Right. And that's where I was at. Okay. Now, now you talk about when you were growing up yourself, mm-hmm. you felt a void. Of course. W- why? Well... For one reason, I was um, the, I had a different uh, parentage than okay. my other siblings. Okay. So it was a lot going on in the, in the family that I was left out of right. because of being a part of you know having a different dad. Right. And so, although I didn't express it, I knew my mother loved me dearly. How do I address it to such a wonderful, loving mother that wanted everything to be equal across the board? That I felt that I was uh, left out of so much, and then I had music. To listen to, so right. she had to work every day. You know, no man in the house. She took care of us. She was a single mom, and um, she worked very hard. I mean, very hard. But the fact is, is that how, I had how, how uh, many? How many how of many, y'all were there? There were five of us at that five time. Okay. But it ended up being six because she had another kid mm. thirteen years after the, the baby. <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> okay. But uh, there were five of us. She worked very hard. I mean, a dollar hour job. She's working doing like man type labor. Right. She was a journey woman. Really? Yeah. So, you know, and um, so she worked that hard, barely had lunch. She was really getting it in, taking care of us. But I had two records, two vinyl records. One was Leontine Price. Mm. 
and one was Nina Simone. Okay. And they were mine. What, so what, what what songs? Oh geez, I couldn't tell you. Nina Simone, yes. I love you, Porky. Okay. And uh I forget the name of the album, but Leontine Price, anything operatic, you know, it was that was it. Nobody else ever could touch her right. to this day. Right. You know. And um so I, I loved, you know, to listen to that. I would play records for hours while she was working, while other siblings were away on vacation. But I had that music, and I could sit in my own world. I could cry because I felt lonely and I felt hurt inside. But by the time I finished listening to that music, I was good. Mm. So I knew that it filled that void I had. Right. You know, nobody else could tell me anything that made me feel that the music did. Right. And uh, so it definitely fills a void and soothes a savage soul. You know, I could have been just like angry, but I wasn't. I right. was good. Did you feel that? Did you feel anger at the time? Before? No, I felt emptiness. I right. felt loneliness. And uh, I couldn't understand because I didn't know for a long time, even at the time it was happening, why I was left out of these things. So it was like, what have I done that I don't remember what it was that I did that keeps me out of everything? Right. Isn't it amazing how? You know, at a young age, kids are so in tune to their environment to the point that they take on yes. the responsibility of things yes. that might not even be their responsibility. And Nine out of ten is not their responsibility. And it wasn't. Right. And I had not a clue. I didn't know until I was 16 that you have a different dad and this is why some people just can't adjust and they don't feel like you're part of the family. Right. But I'm grateful to this day. Okay. Yeah. So you, you talked about um, at a certain point, you know, you saw your son, his music starting to bubble and circulate yes. and, and gain an audience. But you also had a sense that this music would not move beyond the boundaries. Of course not. Of, 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 your, of your city. Mm-hmm. I, I felt that, geez, at his age, Motown had sizzled down. Right, it was different. Okay, it was defi- definitely nothing going on. Right. And the artists that were still there were doing sub Park clubs, you know, so you don't look for anything to revive itself in that lifetime. And sure enough, the city still fills that void of Motown leaving. Right. So this is why it's been really hard. More so in a sense. I mean, I don't want to compare, mm-hmm. it, but more so than even the, I would imagine the automotive industry. Definitely. Right. Most definitely. And uh, the automotive, yeah, that was something. But we kind of saw it coming. Right. You knew when technology came in and, and they began to not hire people when it was a lack of people. That's something it was in the midst, you know, they're encouraging you to, you know, to get involved in technology. And if you don't, when you get that first warning and you out, right. you know, it doesn't matter how long you've been there. Right. You know, so. That, but Motown was in yeah, a sense Motown was, was, was the figuratively core. the soul and it the heart was, of the city. It was. Working hard, struggle, right, trying to raise a family and uh, trying to hang in there till, till that day comes, you know, till the ship comes in. That type of soul. That type of staunch blackness right. mm. is what kept pride. people in pride. Well, hold yes. on a second, too. You're talking about the foundation of people who came up from the South yes. and came into this urban center. That's right. And these are people whose parents were probably sharecroppers. Mm-hmm. Grandparents, great-grandparents were yes. certainly chattel. Yes. But, but had in their DNA a work ethic that was... Yes. Around the clock. Profound. Because that's where we came from. Right. That was that was the DNA. That's it. Mm-hmm. The DNA is royalty. Mm-hmm. Dig that. So the connection I'm making is that Dilla was 
definitely a child of Motown. He was. He was. And he embraced it. He felt good there. You know, uh, I wondered for a long time, had he not been sick, mm. in the end, he would most likely have stayed in, in Detroit. Really? I'm pretty sure. In terms of pride and, and connection. Yes, and, yes definitely. Because right. everyone had begun to come to him. So he didn't like to travel a lot. You know, it was hard to get him to keep an appointment or, or to come to a studio, you know, when he was supposed to be here for something. He just hated to leave behind that console, right. you know. It was like, this is important. Anything else going on in the world? I mean, he didn't even have time to come to the stairway to meet a relative he had never met before. Right. It was like not important, right. you know, and I, and I was like just so let down at a time, you know. But uh, I understand now because he was here for a purpose, which he served. And I think he even may have understood that his time was not forever, that he had a job you, to do. You, you hear that about people whose yes. lives have been short in mm-hmm. terms of, once again, frequency and in terms of vibration, in terms of how they see things. Yes. Their their focus is unlike anybody, Singular. Is, yes. is unlike anybody else's. It is. It is. Yeah. yeah. Um, it, it, it reminded me of, um, I just watched this documentary on a band called Death. I saw yes. it. Yes. Yes. It's very Detroit. Thing. Yes. Detroit also, yes. yes. The brother that, that put it together. Yeah, same mm-hmm. situation. Right. It's musically, uh, of him knowing that his music was going to have, have an effect on the world, even though even his own brother's in the group. Couldn't say, couldn't see it, right? And they, even though they in the group doing the music, and when in the, in the documentary when they talking to the brothers, they break down crying every time, not out of sadness, but out of like, wow, he really, he really was, saw he, he saw this. the future. Right. Sometimes mm-hmm. you could be so observant and pay so much attention to what's going on around you, it seems like you can be clairvoyant and see the future. Right. And I think mm-hmm. that's what happens with a lot of artists. Mm-hmm. Um, high tech is like that. High tech don't like leaving Cincinnati. Mm. You know, and 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 I, I now you know I see why. I, I remember arguing with Raucous, trying to get them to buy me a ticket to Detroit. They was right. like, "We can. Why don't you? You know, you know." See, this is New York. This is the yeah, center they, of the universe. They didn't understand it, right? You know, after the fact, mm-hmm. it's easy to stand back and see the giant that Dilla was, or individuals yes. like giant, like 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 Dilla was. Yes. But in the day to day, how frustrating was it? It was frustrating sometimes because he would tell me. <laughs> Well, you're going to be angry, but I got to go to Amsterdam tonight. And I'm like, you're not going to Amsterdam tonight? He said, I got to go to Amsterdam tonight. I told him I do studio tonight. And I told him, you got to go to school tomorrow. He right. said, well, but I got to go to Amps. He said. Internet. Amp Fiddler. Amp Fiddler. Amp Fiddler. And he told P-Fall. me, he said, look, he said, you can get mad. He said, I'm going to do my music. I just have to suffer the consequences. Mm. I mean, you know, I have kids. Yes. And at a certain point, when it's a test of wills, it was. I'm not giving up. Mm-hmm. They're going to have to give up. Like <laughs> that, how, how, you're exactly right. So, so how were these issues resolved? It was resolved. It, it really it resolved itself by him walking <laughs> out the door and saying, "Oh hell no!" And that's what I said. <laughs> I said, <laughs> that "Exactly." I might have said a little more than that. Oh right, right. But I, he was angry. He didn't want to disrespect to say anything else because even saying that was more than normally he would say. Of course. But he's, I got to do my music. I just have to suffer. You know, and I'm like, what do you mean? I said, you're not. And he said, I, I got to do it. I got to suffer the so licks he, or whatever he, it hey, is. Whatever you're going to do, slap me in the face, whatever, you know, which I probably, he probably thought I might have done. I, mean, right. I don't know what I would have done. I was so angry. He would say to me, 
I have to do this. That's, that's you don't reason. know. He said, you don't know who I am, do you? He, he would say that. All the time. To you. And to me. And I'm sure you'd be like, well, you don't know who the hell I am. Well, you I know am. what? And I would say, H-E-S. I know who the H-E-S are. <laughs> and, and I'd be thinking a whole lot of other stuff, not right. what he was thinking. Of but course. he always said it, and it comes back to me so much now. Mm-hmm. Because he has become this person that I think he felt he should strive to be. Mm-hmm. And no, I didn't see it. Wow. I didn't see any of the greatness. I didn't see any of the beauty. I enjoyed his music, but never thought it would touch the world like it touched me. I'm thinking it's touching me because that's, that's my sea. Right, yes. right, right. And so I'm just happy about it because music does these things for me. Now, you know, we hear about his influences like James Brown and, mm-hmm. and, 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 you know, all the other influences. But I remember as a kid, at a certain point, once I heard the Jacksons and the Jackson 5, it was a whole different. Mm-hmm. Because this was the first time you heard kids, particularly Michael, That's right. on such a deep soulful. soul. Level. What was Dilla's relationship with the with with the Jackson Five or the I Jackson? Know, he loved them. Mm. He loved them. You know, I bet it wasn't anything that he didn't have. Right. You know, um, he did his own record shopping. Like I said, from two on. At the, you know, at that time they used to play all records that came out. So he went religiously every Friday when his dad got paid. Hey, his record store. You know. Mm-hmm. And uh, they would play everything. So what he didn't have, they knew him when he walked in the door. He'd have on his cap, jacket, and sunglasses that match. <laughs> and, you know, have his little Fisher-Price in the hand and ready for new records. Right. So they played different things that they didn't think he had heard. He wouldn't just take a record. He had to like it. Mm. So you they know? tried to pawns like some. Of course push, they played. Push they said, well, this, we got this new, we got right. this new. And. His dad would say, "Okay, put it on, let him hear it." Fisher you know, Price. Like, no, yeah. Fisher, Fisher Price. Now I, I remember that was we, tough we, nugget, right? Yeah, we used to have the Fisher Prices were going by the time you know Dilla was mm-hmm. doing it. We used mm-hmm. to have to go to Japan yeah. and buy Fisher Price turntables. <laughs> you know, I was collect. I was I was I never made beats, but I used to try to dig and collect records. And I right. used to have my Fisher Price turntable. Right yeah. now, now it's interesting, Talib. Uh, I hear now that 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 you're really like developing your career as a DJ. Mm-hmm. That's that's a bit of an overstatement, but yes, I do enjoy <laughs> DJing. Right. Yes. But I mean, you enjoy DJing. <laughs> yes, but people are taking you seriously yeah. as a DJ as well. Yeah, that's I'm still I'm still the, I'm still celebrity DJ. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, you go to see D Nice, you go to see Q Tip. Right. You're not thinking celebrity DJ. You thinking I'm going to a party and DJ Q Tip going. They still I'm still being hired. Because of who I am, but you're still being hired though. That's well, because of who I, I mean, I, I I make that distinction because right. there are DJs who work for a living and really do it. Right. Mm-hmm. And I'm not, you know, I'm not proficient at. I, I would never say I, I'm, I'm that, but I, yes, I, I have a lot of musical knowledge. Yeah. And it's my selection that people enjoy. You know. Now, did, did, didn't Jessica bring up Talib's name? She should. Sure the did. last episode in terms Jessica of who? Jessica, Jessica Rosenbaum was our, was our last. She brought me up in terms of a DJ. Yeah. yeah. She said that. She said that she. If she, she hadn't she, booked she you, she said that she, she tabs would, you. She would book. Has she booked you? She did. She booked me. But you know, I used to hand out party flyers. See, yeah, so yeah, I, I want to go back to you. I thought that was that, like you know, she brought the that love. up too. She yeah, brought she, that, she up that up too. Yeah, I thought that I didn't realize she booked me because no, no, she she was Jessica. like you. If listen to the episode, <laughs> the, the episode. I didn't know you did one with her. No, we, it comes out. To, you know, it's you know this yeah internet. It's the internet. This is the time. So Jessica brought me in the game. Yeah, she brought you. How was that, man? It was, you know, my my best friend when I was going when I was in Brooklyn Tech High School was John Forte. Right. Then we both got sent away to boarding school at the same time. Okay. We, same school. No, different schools. Okay. I went to Cheshire Academy. He went to Exeter Academy. Right. We both applied to NYU as our only school. Fancy, y'all were fancy. Yeah, we were fan, pretty right. fancy. Yeah. Uh, upper crust and you know, <laughs> you know, penguins on a shirt, whatever. Right. Like, 
We both got into NYU the same time. We both was roommates at the same time. But Forte always had his eye on the music industry prize. Right. And that whole the whole time we was de- doing that, we were both taking the train into New York every weekend. Like I built my career going to open mics and clubs on the weekend. Jessica was managing Forte. She was managing okay. Funkmaster Flex, DJ Enough, Big Cap, was it Biz, Biz Marquee, yeah. Mad Wayne, I want to say, mm. Budokan. Budokan. You know what I'm saying? Like, name in a long yeah, time. remember Budokan yeah. used to do the reggae room downstairs? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. She, So that was at that point the hottest DJs in the city. And then she wanted a rapper. She had Forte, right. John Forte. And John Forte's first single was produced by Funkmaster Flex. Okay. It was on the B side of Six Million Ways to Die. Right. Mm. Right. So we were hand so as Forte's crew, we used to hang out at the office. We and then we we got jobs. Well, don't just sit around the office here, go hand out flyers. Yeah. And then we start meeting Street team and all that. Yeah, me, my man Juju, my man Rubik's. And we would just be in the village and Rubik's used to get mad because she used to always send him like Queens and the Bronx. Uh, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like right. but me and Juju used to be like in Brooklyn in the village. Hand oh, out village flyers. was the, the, the that, that was the crown jewel at the time. Yeah, that yeah. I just pop. I just got into you know a discussion on Twitter. You know I be discussing things on Twitter. You know about how I get upset now that party promoters yes. when they book you for a show or an event, they now they send me all these emails like do a video drop. Why don't you every hour promote that? Like nah, drop. man, I'm not doing any of that. Right. I already told you I'm gonna show up. I'm gonna show up. You're the promoter. You do your job. And I got a bunch of pushback from a generation on the internet who don't understand. Really, what the work of promoting what that an event job is. is. They mm-hmm. think it's a bunch of tweets and Facebook posts. Right. That's easy. That's right. light work. Right. And so it's like, you know, I had to explain to the dude who wrote the article. I'm like, listen, I, I have no problem promoting my own thing. It, it's beneficial to me. But when the party promoter depends on the artist to do to, his job. Yeah. When right. he's like, okay, so to promote this party, I'm going to ask you to tweet about it. Like, nah, that's, then I need your cut. Right. Then it's my party. Do, do these, do these <laughs> some of these promoters get upset? Well, no, I mean, that's what I said. When I tweeted it, I tweeted, like, I'm not doing that. Right. Like, and some, some promoters hit me like, well, you know, you got to work with the artists and this and that. And no, like, that's not how it works. No, you, you know what? It would be gravy on your mashed potatoes if I work with you. Right. It would be nice, but I don't have to. You know what I'm saying? And you still got to promote the party, whether I, I, I don't, I could, I could be silent until I show up and walk through the door and get on the mic. Right. I don't have to do anything but rap at your, at your event. You know, but it's like they become dependent on it. And um and it and I had to, I had to invoke the memories of being in the cold on the street handing out flyers. Right. And you know Jessica would be like, well, you know, where did you go? Where did you hand out the flyers? Who, I want to see. I want to see receipts. Yeah. I want to see proof. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, how, how was she? Where would you go to hand out flyers? BMCC. Um, all that. All that. I mean, you know, Jessica might hear this, and the, the couple of times we had to just put the flyers in the bag and go home. <laughs> <laughs> it's hard work. Right. You know, but I mean, you know, Jessica, you know, they called her Stressica back then. Stre- well, stress entertainment. Right? Stress entertainment. Right. You know what I'm saying? Like, Jessica was, was hardcore, man. Like, she was, she was, she was, and still, you could go to, we could go to Jessica's party um, tonight if we wanted to, I think. You know right. what I'm saying? Like, well, who cared or something? Like, we could go there right now. She's still doing the parties that I was just see doing the same time Frank Jugger was on the mic and all that, you know? So it's like, um, Jessica, I learned a lot working with Jessica. What did you learn? I learned that the relationship, I learned about relationships. Mm. I learned about one of the greatest lessons I ever took away from working with Jessica was seeing Funkmaster Flex listen to new records. Mm. You know what I'm saying? I remember when How About Some Hardcore came in mm-hmm. to the stress office and Flex was like, I don't like this record. Because? He just didn't like it. Okay. He didn't get it. Right. I remember listening to him 15 years later say, you know what? I slept on this record, man. And mm-hmm. this is a good record. I remember hearing him on Hot 97 15 years later. I remember, I remember that day like, yeah, you did sleep on that record. I remember I was a big Souls of Mischief fan. I looked at what Souls of Mischief was doing on the West as a counterpart to what me and my crew was doing on the East. But we wasn't signed yet. 
Like, how do these Oakland kids get signed? We want to battle them. Mm. You know what I'm saying? Like, when the first time I met Tajay, who I was just with this weekend in South by Southwest, I was like, yo, I want to battle you. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's how we felt about Soul Star. I used to go up to the, the, the stress office and try to get them to play Souls of Mischief record. Right. But that's when it was changing. It was changing from when I first started working there, Funkmaster Flex was playing Gangstar, Nicest Move, Tropical Quest, De La Soul Records on High 97. Right. By the time I'd stopped working, you weren't hearing that type of record. It was all bad boy, all records about being a pimp or being a player or going to the club. or Bling, get, bling, and yeah, platinum you know, and all that, right. The records started detailing the club life. Mm-hmm. You know, at the same time, the Flex was becoming a big DJ in the city and right. starting to run the clubs. And at the same time, Jessica was starting to, you know, Jessica was partners with Diddy from back in the day. Yes. You know what I'm saying? So it's like the whole bad boy flashiness took over what was popular in hip hop. And then it was a, 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 a split because I'm here working for them, listening to MOP and Souls of Mischief, going to these parties and not understanding the dynamics in industry as a young man. Right. Like, why won't you play the new Souls of Mischief? And you're like, that's not what's cracking in that's the clubs. Right, right, right. Mm-hmm. Now, were you resenting that change? I just realized that there were a lot of people around who were getting into the club for free. I didn't want my life to end with just, I get to go to the club and know people. I still wanted to be a rapper. And I just, I, you know, I was, I didn't, I don't know if I resented it. I just felt like it wasn't me. My man Juju, Rubik's quit first. I quit next. Juju still worked there. But I was just like, I remember thinking, nah, I got to be an artist. And I started spending more time. I got a job at Akira Books in Brooklyn. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Started spending more time in Brooklyn. Now I'm in Brooklyn and I'm hanging out with Supernatural, mm-hmm. hanging out with Queen Pen at the time. You know what I'm saying? Like, um, Makiba Moon Cycle. And now it's more about, now I'm not going to the clubs at night. Now I'm going to the studio at night. You know, now you're like, in this creative hub. Yeah. But let me ask you this now. You're seeing this schism go on in hip-hop where there's music that's really being generated to be played in a club. And then there's that music that people are making that heads want to head nod to. Right. That, that someone wants to, with a backpack on and some headphones with the scotch tape holding them together, right. wants to nod their head to. Right. What makes you take, uh, take the latter lane? At you know the first time I ever drank alcohol, you know not for, not for excuse me that's wrong, because I did used to drink forty ounces when I was fourteen fifteen. Yes, Tyler. then I quit. Right, so I threw up on o- the command o- bus. O- um, Crazy Saint Ives. O- Saint, Saint Ives. I started with the OE, and then Ice Cube came out. With the St. Ives ad, and I was very impressionable as a young man, so thank you, as, Ice Cube. As, as were we all. <laughs> they had the best commercial. They did, and they, I, the St. Ives had the Ice Cube, then they had the Tupac and Biggie. Right. Yeah, it was, you know, so I was drinking St. Ives, I threw up on the command bus uh. on, a bunch of, on a bunch of bunch of white people. Uh. It was just a bad, <laughs> a bad look. So I quit alcohol, and then I started drinking again, going to Funkmaster Flex parties at the Palladium. Mm. The first time I went to a strip club is I had a meeting with Jermaine Dupree in Atlanta. Mm-hmm. He's at Meet Me at the Strip Club. Mm-hmm. You know, hip hop brought this debauchery into my life. You yes. know what I'm saying? Like I wasn't it corrupted you. Yeah, I wasn't on that. I was on the beats and the rhymes. You know what I'm saying? Like, and that's that's it. So it's like when and you were fancy, educated brother. Yeah, you know, yeah. fancy. You yeah. Know <laughs> so you know, I used to you know when when hip hop when it, it when it all made sense when I was when I when I would hear Flex play Gangstar and Tropical Quest records, I felt like it was the right thing. So the subject matter, I I couldn't get with the subject matter when right. Mace came out. You know, the locks came out like. Who like, you know got headrests, you know, all that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I didn't know anybody who had TVs and headrests. Right, right. I was like, TVs and headrests? That sounds like a, another planet. Right. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, so it wasn't music for you. It just wasn't for me. Now, here's the thing, though. I worked closely with Diddy back then. Mm-hmm. He would be at the office. I knew him, you know what I'm saying, to this day. Um, you know, that's my man. So it's like all these people, do I, I, you know, I was in that world 
And I just, it, I, it's, it's, I made a conscious decision. I started to notice that I was just happier hanging out with Supernatural. Right. You know, you know, doing, and then I was starting to do open mics at the bookstore. This is when I was starting to do Foundation, Open Mic, Most Deaf, right. Dead Prez, you know, Company Flow. People would come through. Which and is then a whole amazing effort. Now, yeah, now what's happening is Danny and Anthony from Lyricist Lounge. Lounge. Everybody used to rap in the park. As the music became more club oriented, Danny and Anthony had this whole Lyricist Lounge movement where they were cultivating uh, a fan base for artists who didn't have record labels. So now you could be a rapper just known in the city. And you could be Natural Resources or somebody like that or, right. you know, most definitely quality. And you could just, you could get a show. And you could get it on Raucous or a Fondulum or a Fat Beats and get a little 12-inch out. And so it was like we were doing that as Bad Boy was taking off. Mm-hmm. And so I never looked at Bad Boy as the anti to what I was doing. Mm-hmm. To me, it was, it was all hip-hop. I, to right. me, it all comes from the same place. There was no division. We all young black people. It all comes from the same place. But what happened was... My fan base that was being cultivated through the music I was doing and through how Raucous was marketing us was the anti-bad boy. Right. So then it became all the interviews been, was started to be like, well, what do you think about Puffy? What do you think about Jay-Z? It started becoming a split. And that used to bug me out because I'm like, a fan I love made Jay-Z. Schism. Yeah. A fan-made schism. Well, not schism. even a fan-made. Like, I think it's more of an industry-made schism because right. I, it was based on how it was marketed to the fan. Mm-hmm. Right. I heard a similar answer from um, LP mm-hmm. where he was like, yo, I, I was – Fucking with 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 puffing them, mm-hmm. but it was the fans was that kind of like, in a sense, it's the fans in the industry drew a line because mm-hmm. there was nobody angrier than the Def Jux kids, right? Like they were so anti. But he was like, I'm not anti. But he, LP grew up wanting to be a rapper, right? That's what I like. People look at me as a lyricist or whatever. I grew up wanting to be a famous rapper. Right. I grew up just just you know like with the backpack thing. We used to, you know, you know, you know why you used to have backpacks for all types of reasons. It used to be functional as a kid in New York City. You of hop course. in the train. You're going to be in the city with your Timberlands on for hours. It's cold. You need some water. You need a pen and a pad. There was no cell phone. You need, phone. CDs. You need a pen you got and a, a hammer inside there. <laughs> you, got, you know, <laughs> a, 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 a box cutter. Whatever you needed, you had it. It was functional. You had it in your bag. Right. And so, you know, that's became, that became part of the look of what we were doing. We'd be in the park with our backpacks because it would be full. Then I would do shows when I was signing a raucous, and kids, white kids from Connecticut, would be in the audience with empty backpacks. Empty backpacks. Backpack. Just it was part of Jazz the look. Sports. Yeah, and I was just, it just bugged me out because it'd be like you just wearing this because you think it's supposed to be, it's and the, that's where the backpack thing came from. Right. So I was always had an aversion to it. Like, don't associate me with with the title backpack because to me that that means something that's not real. Right. Mm-hmm. Now you know I read recently that that you, I don't know if this is rumor or not, but you. We're talking about not doing interviews anymore because you were tired of people asking you the same questions. That's that's one reason, right? Yeah. And and what what's, what's the other reason? And well, I hope I'm not asking you the same questions. No, nah, listen, listen. First, am I asking you the same questions? No, nah, listen. Like for as far as Combat Jack show, right? Like you have to pick and choose your interviews. Like, you know, it's like it's like um, I'm excited to do this interview. Thank you, man. You know what I'm saying? Like, and and that's what the key is. It's like um, you know. I'm I'm a, I love talking. I love I love doing interviews. But what I'm noticing in this generation is you have people who create content, right? And they have people who distribute content. I did. I um here's a here's a good example. I someone recorded me and my band uh, performing. I had to promote my new album, promote my new artists on my label. So I was with it. They paid me enough for me to pay my band members. Then I ran into my man from Raucous, Jared, who started Raucous. He has his blog. He's like, oh, yeah, I posted that thing that you did. They paid me good money for that. So I'm like, oh, okay. So I don't know what good money is to him. Right. But the fact that he got paid anything and I'm struggling to pay my band a performance. So now I'm creating content for someone right. who's now paying someone else to post it. 
It's like there's such a lack of respect for people who create the content. Right. So now, the, so it used to be a symbiotic relationship. I go do an interview. People read the interview. They hear I, knew, I got a new album out. They go and buy the album. The relationship's not symbiotic anymore. People hear the interview. They see it. They take it. They put it on their blog. Right. They want hits on their blog. In the meantime, they're not buying your album. The, the, the interviews and the content that you're creating is not leading people to purchase. So now when I do an interview, I'm getting the short end of the stick. I'm not getting nothing out of it besides helping someone else get hits on their blog. Right. So if I'm creating this content for everybody else, I might as well just create it for myself and, anybody, and just put it on my page or my website. This and that. Now, I'm in a unique position. I've been in the industry for a long time. I've had millions of dollars spent on marketing my albums, more than one album. Right. So I've developed, that's helped me develop a, cult, a fan base. Because I have a fan base, I have a privilege. I'm blessed to be able to move like this. As a new artist, I don't think you can afford as easily as I can right. to say I'm not going to do any more interviews. And I got my label, Javodi Media. I got Reese, Corey Mo, my man Nico is, all artists I'm excited about. I got to still talk about them. So I'm conflicted about how do I remove myself from that, giving away my time and energy thing to still promote on my label. But, you know, I'm still, I'm trying to figure out as I go. And I'm, I'm now starting to talk about it publicly. Right. Um, because like so, next time somebody asks me to do an interview, if it's not Combat Jack, if it's not you know Saturday Night Live, if it's not like <laughs> you know someone who you know someone I got a, a, a an incredible amount of respect, for, then I'm I'm a chill. Right. Now thank you, man. No, it's all good. How is it wearing the hat of a label owner, man, and dealing with artists? Because <laughs> you know when you're an artist, you can be an artist, but once you become the Management. administrator. The executive management, the artists are a fucking headache, man. Yes, you are. You are, you are right. <laughs> the the key is to work with artists who already have their own movement moving, mm. and that's that's, that's to, to become a partnership rather than a babysitter. Right. Mm. That's the key, and and you know and that's so hard though, because a lot of us creatives, I'm putting myself in the same thing, want to be babysitters. But you got to then as a as, as an as a label person. You want to steer clear of that, right? Mm. You do, like in the artists I work with, Corey. You know, Corey Mo is is, is a, Corey Mo hustles so hard. I be having to tell him you gotta make less records about hustling. You know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> you know, his his. I mean, Corey Mo hustle is is super impressive to right. me, and he's somebody who I learn from. You know, Reese is somebody who who's been grinding for a while. She has, but Reese was signed to a major for a while, right. and then was kind of you know it was tough for her for a minute because she didn't know how to make the transition. From being signed to a major to being an independent artist, now she's—I feel like she's made that transition to transition, which is why we work. Um, my man Nico is um, from a Brazilian MC from Orlando. I'm gonna play y'all some of his music. Please. I think y'all, as hip hop fans and musicologists, I think y'all really enjoy it. Okay. He's one of the best MCs I heard that no one is checking for. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm and, and but his team is moving. Mm-hmm. We just dropped the mixtape um, last week. He's from Brazil, so a mixtape of all like Brazilian samples. And this kid has got which must be crazy. Bossa Nova's joints, all just uh, Afro, you know, Stand Brazilian, all, all that. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like, so you check it out. It's called Good Blood. Um, you know what I'm saying? We dropped a video called Ballandor. Uh, y'all should check that out, man. The kid freestyles better than anybody I've heard since Supernatural. Wow, mm-hmm. and he be freestyling double time, right? And he knows how to make records too. He knows Cause, how to make records because Supernat didn't know how to make records. <laughs> Trust, I did Supernat's deal. Yeah, y'all on 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 East West or it, it, I think it was Electra. Elect, it was Electra. Right. And it was so much hype, and he. he I was he, with Supernatural every day. Him and Gingy Brown while they was making that Gingy record. Gingy Brown, I, I was I represented them. both of them. I was with them. I was in the studio with them while they was creating. What's the way that when I heard the record when they bought the album to the office, I was like, 
I don't get it, fam. I'm, I didn't say it was bad. I just like, I don't get it. It's been hard for not just Supernatural, but for MCs that come from the battle right. and freestyle to make records. You know, I ran into Loaded Lux down in South Park. Loaded Lux. And, um, you know, he was talking about this new record. And, I, you know, I was like, he had a record about his kids. Mm. I mean, it's about his son called True Love. I was like, man, that's one of the best records I ever heard from a battle MC. We think about the battle MCs, man, the only one who can make, Eminem can make records. Eminem. Cassidy made a couple hot records. Right. You know, he comes from the battle, but not many. Not many. Mm. Not many. Um, Gravitas. It's your new album. Got beat from Jay Dilla on that too. Jay Dilla, how's it doing? How how was this? Is this your first album on your label that you're pushing? No, the first album on my label was um, Gutter Rainbows. Okay. Then Prisoner Conscious came out of Javoti. Um, this is my third solo album okay. on my label. Right. Um, we also put out um, no, that's it. We put out, we put out Reese Refried Mac, which is the Fleetwood Mac covers. I put out Corey Moe last oh, that's, year. That's ill. Yeah, yeah, check that out. That's ill. Um, Corey, I, saw, I saw Reese do some of that live, and she is it's crazy. Yeah, she is crazy. It's crazy. She is soulful. We last week we got a chance. We're gonna link her up with Stevie Nicks next week. Really? Um, yeah. What? Um, but yeah, um, you a Fleetwood Mac fan? I am. Bring Stevie Nicks back from the grave. I am. You know, say so you've been watching. Um, she, she's on American, American Horror Story. I haven't seen it yet. Yeah, I've seen it. Out. She plays this uh, kind of like this witch. That's what they used to say about her back in the day. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's still, I had this weird experience <laughs> a couple of years ago. I was walking by Albany Projects, and it was a rainy day, and I looked down, and it was like a CD just laying on the sidewalk, no cover, nothing. And I picked it up, and it was Rumors, Rumors, Fleetwood Mac, and it. I still have that CD too. Wow. You know, it's crazy. Wow. But 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 going back but to But yeah, so this is the this is the what's unique about this album. Right. This is the first album that I've ever put out in my career for sale that I have no well, until until I did the partnership with Fat Beats for uh distribution physical, but I have no other partners. Mm. Shout out to my man Ryan Leslie. Ryan Leslie, as you know, last year took a big hit. Somebody stole his laptop. Yes. You know what I'm saying? He, and then he got a million stole dollars. Years and years and years of, of right. his work. But then he offered a million dollars uh-huh. and then I think I think the person who stole it brought it back. One thing million dollars. He was like, I'm not gonna give it to you. They won, <laughs> they won a lawsuit. Right. So he had to pay. Right. So Ryan Leslie, being a smart guy that he is, started thinking about ways he could make money quickly mm-hmm. and developed a website where he could sell his music direct, mm. where he doesn't have to pay anybody any cut. No middleman. No middleman, but he's getting the emails as well. Right. So now he can market directly to his fans instead of canvassing the entire spending marketing dollars to try to get Random fans, he can hit the fans direct on the email, and fans who have already spent money with you, that they're gonna definitely open your email. Mm. And he gave it to me. You know, he he said I was he he felt like I was the type of artist that could benefit from it. Mm. Started QualityClub.com. Right. Um, I did. Does a, it help you locate where these fans are? Also, yes. In order to sign, in order to sign geographically. Up, yeah, yeah. When you buy it, you you give me information. Okay. I got your phone number, so you can geoplace them. Then you can go yeah. to the theater and all of that and connect. All of that, Dang. you know. Ryan Dang. Leslie, um, he was at my house. That kid is so smart. I mean, he came over to the house. Math Hoffa was over there mm. at the time. It was okay. right right after he had got, got into the battle and the fight was serious. It was like right. a week later. I was like, son, what you doing? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Um, I was, but I remember saying, this is perfect for you, for like battle rappers who don't have a deal. Right. You know what I'm saying? Like to connect with your fans. You got fans. Right. You know, so I mean, it's a, it's a beautiful thing, man. And, um, and I, you know, God bless Ryan Leslie for it. It's not been as successful as I want it to be in right. terms of the numbers. But it's been very successful in terms of the emails. Mm. So now I got the emails. A lot of most of my fans don't even know this album's out, and it's a shame because it's a great album. Right. At some point, I feel like a few months from now, I'm gonna put it on iTunes. At that point, more people are gonna know it's out. Right. But right now, I did a deal with Fat Beats Distribution where they do the physical. Mm-hmm. So now you can go and buy it in stores that do business with Fat Beats. But shout out to Fat Beats and shout out to Amazon and Best Buy and all the other places you can buy that. But if you buy it from me, 
That money go directly in my pocket. Right. And so, 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 and, <laughs> and I get your email, and you can email me, and I'll, 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 I, I haven't answered every email, but I answer as many as I can. Right. Now, I was going to ask you. So, it was a conscious decision not to put the album on iTunes. Yes, or Spotify, okay. or any. Because you didn't want that a percentage of what they were getting. Paid. Well, not not so much that because I look, I work with iTunes. I like iTunes as a company. Right. I think iTunes provides a great service for for artists, right. without a doubt, and they got some great people working there. Um. 90 more than 90 percent of people who buy music buy from itunes so you can't really front on them in the marketplace right, right. um but the reason but i have 12 albums on itunes that you can buy right one of them gotta be just for me mm. you know so this one is just for me and my fans it's a niche thing at the same way that when you buy one of my albums from itunes you know they, they get your email and they be like oh you like quali you might like childish gambino mm. you might like uh mers right you know i like those artists too but i want the email to say you might like quali's other album right you know what I'm <laughs> like let's go into this man's discography yeah so it's like and so i want to be i want to be my own itunes at some point i want to work with them and have my own and this was a way for me to do that and and have a, a more a deeper connection with the fans Right, mm. you know, and and it's the true fans, the ones who get it now. I have casual fans who might check for it for a year from now. Maybe they can get an iTunes. Right. Now I was looking at your your your, your video. Um, what's the name? The one where you 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 go from like behind the stage and then you come. That's a great. Vi- what's the name of that song? Rare Portraits. Rare Portraits. The concept. Who came up with that concept? Uh, that was me. I was on tour with Macklemore, and Macklemore had a film crew that was doing incredible work. Um, with a, and they had a camera that was just incredible, and I'm watching them do all this stuff for the for the Macklemore Ryan Lewis documentary, and I'm thinking, uh, how can I get a visual with that camera and take the least amount of day time possible? Mm-hmm. And every night, I was that was the walk I did every night. Right. You know, I was in the Staples Center that night. I was like, okay, look, I want y'all to um just film me walking from my dressing room to on stage, and then I'm gonna send y'all some old footage to to tie into what I'm talking about. Right. We just did it. We did it about four or five times just to get it right. Talk about being on tour with Matt. Well, actually, I want to say before you jump there, looking at that video, um, what I get from it is it's the closest I've seen of you really exposing who you are. That's, you, that's you exactly right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that record, I have records that I. I and t- it's a great, it's a good record. Oh, thank you, man. Shout out to Ono on the track. You know who gave you props? And this motherfucker gives nobody props. <clears throat> Byron Crawford. He doesn't give anybody props. He said this. He said this. He said, "Quote." I mean, I don't remember. I don't. I want to paraphrase. He's like, "This is like a a, a Talib Kweli record that's worth looking at, or listening to." Right. So well, he, that's, that's so he gave you a, a back, you know. But yeah, that's a record that's that's for people like Byron. Right. You know what I'm saying? Like, you know, that record. You know, sonically, that's a very easy record for me to make. Mm-hmm. When I first heard that beat, that sound like you know something that I could really vibe with. You know, I know my fan base well enough to know. That I would sound good on that, and they would like that, and right. this and that. Um, there's a whole generation of people who are fans of mine who don't know the history. They don't know the ruckus days. They don't know Black Star. They don't know all that. They don't even know. They don't know the journey. Um, and I just for gravitas, I wanted to do a song. There's no hook. So I think it might be 64 bars or something like that. Right. It's just me telling everybody why I I'm relevant. You know, and it's like it's. I, I just felt like it was time for that for that record. You know, you. Is I'm writing a memoir, you know what I'm saying? So a lot, I had a lot of those thoughts on my mind, and um, you know, it was just time for that record, man. A lot of people don't understand. There's a lot of energy. It looks fresh, and it, it's also it reminded me of your journey. And, and and I think anybody that's listening right now, definitely you know, look up that 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 record. Check out that video. It's a great video, man. Rare, Thanks, rare man. portraits. Rare portraits. Yeah. DP. Oh right. 
touring with Macklemore. I mean, Macklemore might be the hottest rapper. The hottest rapper? Of last year. Yeah. You know, it's funny about you saying the complex thing with the um, not asking the same questions. Yeah. That's where how that started. Because what starts to happen, you know. That's one of those questions, Dallas. I don't want yeah, no, it's, I, it's, a, it's, a, it's, it's a valid. It's a valid question. But you know, what's this is what starts to happen is right. that, you know, I went on tour with Macklemore. For a lot of reasons, he becomes one of the biggest stories in music. So you have journalists that are lazy that they look at what you ask them about. Okay, I'm asking about Black Star. I'm asking about Jay Z. I'm asking about you know what's touring like Macklemore. And then what happens is is that when it gets posted on your blog or whatever, they take the the quality says this about Macklemore, and that becomes the headline, the headline because yes. they're trying to get people to look at that blog. Right. Right. So then when I read my articles, I don't read all the comments because then you just be in the mire and that, the muck. You know what But I do so sometimes see the first two. That's two. See the first two or three or four or five, and I noticed. That the comments started being like, "Why Quali always talking about Macklemore?" Mm. And I'm like, "Okay, I'm being misrepresented." Yeah, because mm. you kind of been colored as this Macklemore apologist. Yeah, sense. I'm not always talking about Macklemore. I'm right. talking about gravitas. Right. That's mm-hmm. what I show up to talk about. Right. And then they ask me about Macklemore, and I answer honestly, and they make that the headline of their blog. Mm. You know what I'm saying? Mm. That's that's part of the reason why I'm like, I gotta stop doing these interviews because they'll chop it and flip it to, to, to whereas what they want right. to make wake it about. Of course, you know what I'm saying? Like, um, but that being said. We can talk about Macklemore. What did you <laughs> learn? I, I want to know really what you look because because you've been quoted as saying, in a sense, that's been your biggest tour. No, it's not one of my biggest. It's one. It's my biggest tour is probably Black Eyed Peas in okay. 04. Wow. And then I did I, you yes. know I did um Beastie Boys in 05. Wow. Um, uh, Sprite Liquid Mix with Jay Z and Nerd. I did that twice. Damn. Um, you know, but but yes, it's one of the bigger tours that I've been on. Right. Definitely. What What did you learn from that tour? Um, beyond the tour, I just learned that it's possible to be completely self-sufficient, employ only the people that you rock with and do exactly what you want to do and stick to your vision and really achieve the, a monumental success to whereas people who are on major labels come into you to try to get heat for their artists. Isn't it crazy? Yeah. I mean, you know, Macklemore, of course, he's... And Ryan Lewis, they're white. Yes. You know, they, I think uh, they know it and they deal with it often. Macklemore has a song that I, I reference often called White Privilege. Yes. Because I feel like he stepped out and made that song five years ago. You know, mm-hmm. like way before any of this. Mm-hmm. So he's, he's been dealing with his privilege. Right. That's, that's been the main complaint about him. You know, you need to deal with your privilege. He, I feel like. He, I, I did that. Yeah, I feel right. like he's been doing that. Right. You know what I'm saying? And, um, you know, my first, here's the problem. And I think this applies to Kanye. I think it applies to Drake, I think it applies to Kendrick, applies to Macklemore. When you do what we do, you're behind the scenes. You get to see artists in their infancy, and you get to see the journey. And you have appreciation from for the journey. You're the layman. Many times, the first time you hear an artist is when the, they've been marketed to you, mm. and they've been sold to you by an outside source, right. and you're being dictated to what this artist is. So, you know, start with Kanye. You know, I we all know where Kanye comes from. There's many people who or Kanye fans or Kanye haters who the first time they heard of him he was on the radio with Jay-Z mm. talking about diamonds and whatever right. and, and so Negroes same thing in Paris and the whole. same thing with Drake right. you know we know where Drake come from but for many people he represent corporate hip hop commercial young money and spread yeah they, mm. they, they don't know that he can't, he put his mixtape out on the tune core he, yes. he defined what it meant to be an indie artist yes. and so Macklemore and Ryan Lewis the first time I heard of them was they were on the cover of Double XL I went to the freshman show and in my opinion, they did the best of everybody on stage. Mm. Be, regard, for, forget color. Right. On some MC shit. On some showmanship. Macklemore and Ryan Lewis impressed me that night. 
And I told him so, and he was like, uh, Reflection Eternal is my favorite album. <laughs> you know? And and then when I saw what him and Ryan Lewis were doing, I'm like, okay, that's like a white version of Reflection Eternal. That's right. what it felt like to me. Mm. Mm-hmm. I started, I, I tour a lot. I would see them on a the tour circuit. This is before Thrift Shop and any of that. And, um, you know, we talked about maybe doing a tour together. I saw that they had the tour thing locked up. Right. And so, you know, that's that's my bread and butter is a touring. Right. So we talked about this tour before Thrift Shop, well, while Thrift Shop was blowing up. And then we were on the same agency, uh, agency group. It just made sense to tour. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, it was a blessing. It was a blessing to see, you know, someone do it to that level. When I bring that up, the people who get upset and be like, well, you know, Tech 9 is black, and he did it like that. Right. Cash Money, they black, and they did it like that. Yeah, that too. I bigged them up too, but right now it's Macklemore season. That's what people. It's, it's, it's his time right yeah, now. Yeah, that's what people are asking me about, so right. I answer the question honestly. Okay. Now, we were talking about parenting and, and, and you know, uh, my dukes going through that whole being a concerned parent mm-hmm. and, you know, that conflict when your, your, your child gets that creative bug and they're following their passion. Talib, your, your, your son, he's in college now, but I've heard him rap. Yes. He wants to be a rapper. He does. And I, I try to steer him away from that, too. I'm like, how I heard feel, how you I said like, he but, does. How do you feel about that, though, man? Um, well, you know, one, you know, my ego's a little bruised because he's better than me. Mm. Do you really think that? He's better than I was when I was 17. Right. So I feel like by the time he's my age, he's going to be a beast. Right. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> he's not better than me now, but he's better than the 17-year-old me. Where you, right. You know what I'm saying? So I'm like, it's like me 2.0. It's mm. watching yourself, but a better version of yourself. Right. Um, so, you know, ego on some like, you know, Simba and Mustafa, you know, something like, yeah, that, now that, he's coming for you. Uh-huh. You know, that's, you know, he's coming for you. He's nipping at my heels. Right. <laughs> um, but you know, my son, you know, he's in uh, full sale, which is a music school. Yes. Um, had I known a about full sale, I probably would have gone there right. instead of NYU, you know right. what I'm saying? But, um, you know, I dropped out of school six months in, mm. you know, and I started to start my career. Right. So as much as my whole thing was just like, I can't really hate on him wanting to do music and right. be passionate about it. Right. I just want him to understand that in this life, first you have to master survival, and then you have to live. You can't want be well, I want to live and you know turn and celebrate life unless you've mastered how to just survive as a man. Right. So as long as he got that down, you know, success is to me success is doing what you love for a living. It's not being rich or famous. Right. As long as you master survival, he's gonna be successful. One of my, pr- my my proudest private moments is the fact that my son mm-hmm. produced the track that's with right. your son. That's and right. I listened to the record. And my son gets a lot, you know, because he makes beats, a lot of local rappers approach him. And, you know, I, I listen to a lot of his records. But the one with your son was the one that stood out. I mean, of course, for the obvious reasons, because that's your right. son. Right. But because it also stood out. And I asked him, I said, out of all these kids, who's your favorite? He's like, Talib Son. Like, Talib Son is the best rapper out of this whole crew of ours, which is kind of. I, yeah, he's dope, you know. Um, I don't know his rap name. Right. <laughs> oh, my God. Now he's, he's been, your son's been he to keeps, the house. He keeps he, changing his rap name. Right, well, but know? I mean, that's, 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 that's normal. <laughs> Shout out to my son, Amani Fela. Yes, yes, yes. Pete. No, Talib, what I was saying was, what are some of the tips that, you know, and things you talk about to your son about being a young artist and also just about the industry at his age, you know? Um, well, you know, to be honest, the best answer to that question is, is more the other way around. Um, the industry, there is no industry. I, I do what I do because, because I'm talented and because I was ambitious, but I was also blessed to come out at the time when there was millions of dollars being spent on artists, you know? Uh, on my Prisoner Conscious album, I had Nelly, and I was doing, I ran into Nelly a lot back in two, 
the year 2000, we became good friends. You know, when you heard the phrase like a uh, rising tide raises all boats, it's like back then there was so much cash in the industry mm. that Blackstar could get a $500,000 video budget right? Mm. just because it was like that. Now I wouldn't know how to navigate as a new artist. So it's my son that told me about Dime a Dozen, about Joey Badass, yes. about how, when I was checking for Kendrick, it was my son who was like, you need to check for Absol as well. Mm. You know what I'm saying? It's my son. My son has had a SoundCloud page for the last few years. I wasn't hip to SoundCloud to a couple of years ago. It was my son who's been sort of the driving force in terms of he's been giving me new ideas mm. for how to navigate in the industry. You know, I think I think I can give him experience on life. But the industry as it is now is, is a new animal and it changes, you know, almost daily. It's damn new. You know, when, yeah. when, when you look at what, what Beyonce just did, you know, it's, when you look at drop, did, dropping yeah. the record with no, mm-hmm. with no. It, it changes daily and he's more on it right. than, than I am. I just I'm, I have the benefit of having people who are checking for me. So I get a little bit of cushion to navigate. So, so my dudes, yes. um, I heard all these stories about, you know, Dilla's last days. Yes. And I heard that, that in terms of just the, the bond that, of course you're his mom and you have a mm-hmm. bond, but the, the, how that bond evolved. Can you walk us through like the first time you heard about his illness and that progression towards him still creating even in the hospital room? Well, that was deliberate. Right. I knew my son and I knew his character. I knew that everything in him that was that meant anything it had to be uh, music related and I knew that for somebody that slept maybe every three days what do you mean he slept maybe every three days he didn't sleep every night he didn't sleep every night no and I was traditionally uh, like you just he didn't sleep every day. He didn't have time to sleep you know it was like he had he was on his grind he had deadlines other people had deadlines. He never wanted anybody to not meet their deadline for that project. So it was like he just didn't sleep. So if it meant that I had to drive to his house and bring meals and hope that, you know, whatever, I had to keep his home and, you know, try to coax him to eat or make it convenient or do deli trays because he wouldn't leave the studio, then I did that, you know, because I, I always, you know, would uh, and try to encourage him to come to my house to visit because when he got there, I knew he'd fall asleep, you know. But, <laughs> but um, he didn't sleep because for him, uh, he didn't have time to waste. He was on a mission, right. you know, and I, I really understand that now. He really was on a mission. Right. And uh, just like he wanted quality in his work, he wanted people that he produced for to feel that they had got the best out of him. He didn't ever want to come subpar. So that meant more to him than taking a nap. He felt that he can get a nap anytime, right. you know. So so when was the first time you heard about his illness? The first time I heard about his illness, we really didn't know until the last year of that four-year illness that it was lupus. We went three years to Carmano's uh, Cancer Center uh, every two weeks in the hospital every couple of months, and uh, the stays began to be longer, kidney failure, all types of things for three years, thinking three it was years. a blood disease, right. and it was lupus right. that caused everything that so it was a misdiagnosis it was missed well they had no idea they didn't check men for lupus because it was supposed to be a woman's disease so they say really and it was supposed to be mostly for um people of color that would even have this disease and they're just like you have a cbc you know they you don't check because it's like not nothing you're looking for you right. know and um, it didn't occur to them it didn't occur that it could be at his age especially with no symptoms of any illness prior that it would be lupus right no family history of it, you know. And uh, and that's another thing. If you don't know 
what went on in the family farther back enough than, you know, because, I mean, Nilla had a great-grandfather that was ill, but I don't know what the illness was. Right. He was European. Of course. Could have been anything. Right. You know? So um, you have to think about those things. So it's very important Factor, to find out factors. what's going on in your family bloodline. Who's been sick? Has there ever been any illness? It doesn't matter uh, if you associate with the people, but if they're related in any kind of, kind of way, it really could affect you and your and your offspring. Right. So this is something that uh, I had no knowledge of. And, and you yourself, yes, sure. went through the same. Yes, I'm, a, I'm definitely in remission state. Congratulations! I have a thank you. I uh, do chemo infusions twice a year, so I'm good. You know, but I just wish that Dilla had had the opportunity. Right, yes. right, right. Now, Dilla gets ill, mm-hmm. and and you definitely see. The effect on his health. Yes, but it, it's not stopping his. Oh no! Oh, at all? No. You ever seen pictures of Dilla with his fingers taped up like Michael Jackson? Mm-hmm. Still behind the turntables because he didn't have time to stop, and it was very painful. We did paraffin baths. We did. I mean, I was researching all day trying to find out what could take the pain away. He was in severe pain. He had severe migraines. And that's the only thing that would stop his production, and that was just long enough to. Get that headache a little out of the way so he can get back to the turntable. Right. And when Erica was there uh, during a, a session, Erica Badu. Erica Badu, yes. and she uh, fixed him some strawberry tea. And I didn't find out what strawberry tea for a while, but <laughs> it went away so fast. And he was able to, to work without being sick, without taking pain medication. And he called me from my job. He said, You got to get over here and you got to find out what kind of tea Erica fixed because. It took my migraine away. He said, I've been good all day, and I'm still working. He said, find out what it was. Well, by the time I got off, Erica was gone and, you know, had left Detroit. But I had he just was adamant that I get in touch with her and find out. It was a strawberry herbal tea. Right. You know, and it just took the headache away. So I always would buy it, you know, for um, when I did was grocery shopping. But things like that, you know, it was like um, I knew that he was in the hospital that we were going on these hospital stints for like two, two, three months at a time. Right. And I, I was not leaving his bedside. You would not leave by his side. I would, I would not leave. They could not make me leave. Right. And uh, so it was like, well, they would get a room and they would order my bed in the refrigerator because I wasn't going anywhere. And that's how we lived. You know, we just, I was like a member of Cedar Sinai. People thought I worked there, you know, so. <laughs> so, so his dedication. His dedication was. So matched. Your, you, your dedication matched. His dedication. Definitely. Right. We we understood each other, and we were very best of friends. You know, it was nothing that we didn't talk about. Even though I was his mom, it was nothing we couldn't mm. talk about. It didn't matter what it entailed. And because we all, always made my children understand that whatever you do in life, I'm always here for you. It doesn't matter if you are embarrassed or you think I shouldn't know, but if you ever need me, come to me, and we'll work it out together. And right. that And it worked. So that's the kind of relationship that did that did share. he be, was that relationship always there or did he always. become more open? No, he always was open. Really, always. Doesn't matter how bad it might have been or how disgraceful you would think the thought was. Right. We we communicated. Where's he was, in the cosmology of your children? He's is he the youngest? No, no, he's the eldest. He was the eldest. Yes, the, my youngest, Ella J, is the youngest, and yeah. he's twenty seven, and then he has a sister, Martha, who's thirty seven. Okay. Mm-hmm. Now it got to a point where. He wanted all the equipment in his hospital room. Yes. And the hospital. Well, he didn't particularly ask for all of it. Right. But as I would take up the records and turntable and then take up another creative records or whatever, 
then I, I realized that it wasn't enough, and he didn't want to lay down. You mm-hmm. know, he just wanted to sit up as long as he could sit. Right. And it made him feel better. I could feel that he felt better. So I told J-Rock from Stone Star, I said, J-Rock, I said, he's good today because, you know, you can come visit. He's, he's good. He's been with records. He said, well, maybe my, I'll take you record shopping, whatever, and we'll get some more stuff. So we, Peanut Butter Wolf from Stone Star, mm-hmm. bought a, a mixer. It was portable, new mixer. <laughs> And they would bring albums. And this kind of thing, it made him feel so good about himself. Did the hospital fight you? Because I know hospitals are so bureaucratic. They are. But I talked to his doctor. His doctor loved music. And he understood that Dilla was the kind of person that he had to do music. When Dilla went to visit this particular oncologist at every visit, they had a jam session. So Mm. he knew, you know, the (laughs) doctor would get out either guitar or an accordion. He would bring out the turn the uh, turntable that he had in the back right. and a keyboard, and they'd do their thing. Now, that was what therapy, I guess, they had together. Mm, you know, yeah. he'd get his, his work done, but he understood Dilla mm. and what it meant to him. So you were that fortunate to have somebody oh, sure. really in that position. Sure. Because not many of us who go through these situations mm-hmm. have somebody that really connects with their patients like I that. I know. They don't because he had a, a doctor in Detroit that did not understand and Dilla was so frustrated that he he cursed the man so bad he would be I would be this about this an inch tall when I leave out I'd be so embarrassed right but he just told him exactly how he felt right you know and then what do you say with somebody that you know that they're not guaranteed to be living tomorrow because many of the times that we would go for a checkup it would be like we need to put you in a hospital because we don't know if you're going to make it outside of the hospital another 24 hours right. and that's the kind of thing Dilla did but if he had a deadline he was going home right and finish at work. Right. Now, this is a, a, a unique question to ask a mom because you have mm-hmm. so many memories, but what, a, what, a, what, what strikes you as your proudest moment, My proudest of, moment. Of, 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 of Dilla's life and his work? Jeez. I, my proudest moment was when I saw that he was elated when they played Red on, what was that, uh, New York Undercover. New York Undercover. <laughs> that was a that was a high that and a holler that I had never heard out of him before. <laughs> so I knew that he was totally happy. He was just like just elated, mm. you know, because he felt that he had arrived at that point to where right. he wanted to be acknowledged, and he didn't care. Just like with the Grammys, he didn't want to be seen, right? But he just wanted to feel that acceptance. I love the story about his argument with Q. Oh yeah. And I know you've talked about it before, and I know this question has been asked before, but I'd love for you to to share that with our audience in terms of... Well, he and Q-Tip had a confrontation. You know, it had been going back and forth all day, the day of the Grammys. And uh, Dilla told me... This this was was for which record? uh, Which was... Do you remember which one it was? Uh, Was it... uh, Was it... I don't know if it was... Was it wasn't Beast Rise of Rhymes of Life, was it? That's the record that he was on on the most forever. Yeah. Okay. Uh, yes, yes. Mm-hmm. And um, he actually... So this um, was for, lo- for, for a Tribe Called Quest? Yes, Tribe Called right. Quest. That, okay. And um, he he told me, he said, I'm going to New York, but that Grammy says, I'm not going. He said, I know Tip's going to ask, call you and ask you. Just tell him that uh, I already know. But Because he didn't want to talk about it. But why didn't he want to... I know you He said didn't want to... He was camera shy. Camera shy. And he didn't want people to see him going after the glitz and glamour. Right. He didn't believe in it. He felt it was fake. Mm-hmm. He said he didn't believe in half of the artists that were, you know, accepting <laughs> awards. He didn't believe <laughs> they deserved them. Mm-hmm. Or on top of other artists that had put in hard work and had quality projects. So he never really believed 
moral, and the moral truth, stance. Yes, he, he knew he, what the Grammys not, were about. Yeah, he, he knew that it that. was to him. It was political right. ploy. You right. know, right. And uh, when they send, when ASCAP and different people send out the you know voters' ballots, he would never address them. Uh, you know, he's like, for what? He said, I already know who they're going to choose. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's how he felt. Right. So he didn't want any part of that. You know, to him it was an internal thing. You know, didn't matter. You know, but he he was uh, telling me, you know, when Tip call, just act like you know I'm I already got my stuff packed and everything. And sure enough, Tip must have known that he wasn't going to come right because right. he he came. He went to Jersey, <laughs> but what he did was he didn't take anything to wear a dress. He just took t- t- t-shirts. Two shirts because he was like, he, I'm, he went to work. Right, I'm going to sabotage yes, me not he's going gonna, to not, right. not going to do it. Right. So when they got there, he called me on the phone. He said. Ma, he said, Tip's still pushing about me going to the Grammys. He said, I'm not going. Right. I said, and I, I'm trying to tell him, well, you should go. Whatever. He said, I told you I'm not going. I don't want to go. Right. So and, I know and, my and, son. As, as your son, you as want him son. to go. This, I, is the, this is the Grammys. Heck, I wanted to go. Yeah, you <laughs> want <laughs> give, give me the ticket. <laughs> yes, because when uh, Tip's uh, attorney called and told us that they had been nominated, she said, are you coming? And my son hadn't said anything about us. I knew better than to entertain that because right, right. he would have told me, I want you to go with me. You know? Right. And uh, he wasn't even about that. So, you know, it was. I'm like, well, consider going maybe for me. He said, no, I'm not going. I'm not leaving here. I'm not going. So for some way, he said, I don't have anything to wear. Mm-hmm. And Tip had the guy bring a bunch of clothes to <laughs> for him to try on <laughs> and to see what he felt good in. Right. And uh, he said he tried on a couple. He said, I said, well, you don't like anything? Does it fit? He said, yeah. He said, I'm not, I'm not going. I told you I'm not going. Right. So sure enough, I guess they haggled enough at the house that he put on something and got in the limo and drove all the way to the Grammys. And then when they got there, he let Tip get out. He wasn't going nowhere. So <laughs> he stayed so in he's the limo. Like, he wasn't going. He so Tip told him, no, man, we, we got to go. You going? He, he told him no. So they almost got fist up. Mm. You know, it was like a struggle going on. And he called me in tears. He was like so angry because he adored Tip as right. an individual. Right. And he didn't want to go there with him. Right. But he knew that he wasn't going inside. Right. Mm. You know, he had made up his mind. He wanted no part of it. And it went there, you know. He and, called me, and he was like, you know, I could, I, I know so, my son. I know he had tears going, but he's like, and I'm not going in, and and I'm just telling you to let you know I'm not going. So I'm interesting going. to me because yeah. I, I've been dealing with this Grammy committee stuff. The Grammy committee has been trying to get me to participate more, and I've been having these conversations with them. Right. Like, why would I do that? You know, and you know, my man, shout out my man Paul Wall, who's on the Grammy committee. They sent Paul Wall after me. You know what I'm saying? I'm like. Didn't you get nominated for it? He was like, "Yeah." I was like, "Well, that, you know, I was like, of course you down with it." You know what I'm saying? Like, right. But, but yeah, I mean, they were they were generally asking me about hip hop right. and hip hop's attitudes towards the Grammys, right. and here you here you are echoing it. Right. You know what I'm saying? I had to, I was at the Grammy with Grammy people at South by Southwest, and man, I wish I could. Re- when I, I'm telling them to listen to this, yes, because mm-hmm. they need to hear this story. Right. Mm-hmm. Now, are you still uh, reluctant to participate? With with the with the Grammys, yeah, it's just what what my Duke said about as artists who do this type of music, we already know what it is, right. and that's not to hate on anybody who wins the Grammy, right. but we know it's politics and we right. know what it's based on. So it's like, why would you even involve yourself in that? And it's like they're like the lady who's working for them is emailing me. She's a sister. She's great. I'll entertain her, you know what I'm saying? But it's like my attitude is the same as Dilla's on it. It's like out of respect for what she's trying to do, I have the conversation with her. But I'm you know I what you just articulated. That, uh, speaking for Dilla was better than I was able to articulate it. Right. You know what I'm mm-hmm. saying? Like what you said about how Dilla felt about it, like that's that's exactly what I was trying to convey to her. Yeah. Like it's not even, you know, 
But I, 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 we understand this politics, but isn't it also ignorance? Because I feel they like really, at the end of the day, unless you're really steeped in our culture or understand our culture, you don't understand. Right. It should be a panel. Right. It should be based, or it should be based on some sort of um, algorithm right. where you can look at reviews from hip hop. You know, it should be based on that, but it's not based on any. It's based on marketing. It's based on publicists. Right. It's based mm-hmm. on who the label pro- prioritizes yes. and all that. And I, for Dilla to see that from his vantage point, it was is amazing. And for him to stick to his guns like that, like you know, I can't say I would have made those same moves. Q-Tip called me, asked me to go to Grammy. I think I would have gone. Right. You know what I'm saying? I don't think it would have been a second thought. Right. But as as an older artist, I I don't think I would like now. Like I'm not. No, nah, I feel like now me with more experience, I feel more like how Dilla. Right. Mm. Do you think though that if there were more people like you involved, that things might change? No, I think it's for the Grammy situation. The whole it has to be completely revolutionized. I think it, you 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 look at it. A, a, a perfect example is the Electoral College, mm-hmm. right? When I you know I I cast mm-hmm. a vote for Barack Obama. Because, but for I'm not under any delusions about what my vote, vote as a New Yorker meant. Right. My vote I cast for Barack Obama when he ran was a symbolic vote. Symbolic vote. So you know to support this this man who I I, I thought that he was I thought his presence in politics was important. But I don't feel like as a New Yorker my vote counted because I know how the electoral college works. Right. Yeah. It works to make sure that wealthy landowners, which when they invented it was all white people, yes. it works to make sure that their vote means more than poor people. There's more weight. There's more weight. So, right. you know, me knowing that, I don't believe in a lesser two evils. Why, how can I, why would I participate in something like that? And I think that's how Dylan looked at the Grammys. It's like, mm-hmm. okay, and that's how the Grammys is. It's like, let's, let's say even they would have, they would have that knowledgeable panel right. to pick the people, to pick the nominees. Well, then it's still going out to the masses who don't know hip hop. Right. They just gonna pick whose name recognition they know, or who's mm-hmm. most popular. So it, it boils down to no matter the way it's set up now, no matter what it's gonna be, it's going to be a popularity contest, mm-hmm. which is the same thing as presidential politics. Right. Barack Obama was far more popular than John McCain or Mitt Romney. Right. If he if they had nominated Rand Paul or Ron Paul or whatever, he would have had a slight a bigger issue. Right. You know what I'm saying? But it's like it's a popularity contest. Just Republicans are very very very. Stupid when it comes to knowing who's popular in their party. Of course, of course, of course. Uh, Ma Dukes, yeah. you say you say right now you're a hip hop head. Oh yeah, a rap head. What are you listening to right now? I'm listening to anything that sound has consciousness to it. Really? So, yes. So, I, I mean, I don't particularly. I mean, I know everybody can't do the beats like and and don't have that electric energy that I get from Dilla Beat. But if you're conscious, if I can understand what you're talking about and it really means something. And it's going to take the mind to a higher level, especially for our young people. Right. I'm in. I'm. I got you. Okay. So 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 name some names in terms of what you're listening God. to right now. What's, well, what's on your playlist? My playlist lately. Yeah. I'm listening to the mm. and, and, and coming and to his consciousness. To Dilla. Yeah. Well, I listen to Dilla every day. That's I wake what I, that's up what I'm and about. and my main one is is uh, the remix, the Steve uh, SpaceX re- remix Eve. Okay. That's, I wake up to that because right. it gives, it puts me there. If mm. I listen two or three times, I'm good to go. Okay. Where I'm going. Right. I'm good all day. Okay. But you know, I, I listen to, I listen to not much radio, but what I listen to is like radio stations, like uh we act radio in DC that play only, uh, good hip hop. And they even play old school hip hop. Okay. That, that needs to be revisited. Right. Mm-hmm. The consciousness Knowing where you're coming from, knowing where you've been, giving a positive message, and not all this ignorance. I I just cannot stand the three bad, same words that that comes every two seconds in a rapper's 
vocabulary. Right. You know, I mean, can you not think beyond that? Mm. Or do you not have any type of education? Or right. do you not respect yourself enough to do better? I mean, that's kind of where I'm at. Because the first time I hear something, it's off. Well, the, and there's one more option, too. There's yes. the option that the people that promote that stuff mm-hmm. that sit in this office mm-hmm. only want that particular content from those people. That's true. Like I, I tell people on Twitter all the time, man, if I had a gang of money, the first thing I'd do is I'd buy me a a, a prison <laughs> and then I'd rent some rappers to send some people to my prison. <laughs> <laughs> Woo! I would, you I would get up. a lot of money. And rake the, 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 the school to hip-hop prison pipeline. Oh, listen, <laughs> yes. listen. We're going to change the name of school to prison. Pre-prison. <laughs> That's right. Pre-prison. Talib, what do you listen to, man? Um... You know, uh, definitely that mixtape that I just told you about, Nico Ayers. That's, yeah. what, that's on my playlist right now, the Good Blood. But um, my my um, bring the DJ thing has got me listening to music differently. Right. Um. So now I'm, I use my Shazam app a lot, mm-hmm. and I you know I'm just trying to find new music that what 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 I love about DJing is trying to find records that that just work. Everybody knows them, but people ain't really necessarily playing them like uh like you know uh. No, like oh, oh, Motown. Speaking of Motown, um, I was DJ Beauty in Essex. I do that on Tuesdays, nice. and someone asked me for a Motown set. Right. And um, really, yeah, it was dope. And I, I did it. I had so much fun with it. I was like, well, you know what? I could, I could extend my Motown set mm. and really get into it. You know what I'm saying? I, I went and downloaded a bunch of, bunch of Motown the other day. What, um, what period Motown? Um, you know the Supremes. You know Martha and the Vandellas, Bay and Stevie Wonder. Take okay. me higher. That that okay. like when they had that band. I forget the name of the band. But there was one studio band that was doing all those records, like, mm-hmm. um, like beat. Uh, uh, I can't remember the name of the record. Uh, David Bowie. Okay. Um, seventies, eighties. Um, Under Pressure. I just you know Under, under Pressure. Right, right. Then, 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 then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The David Bowie, Billy Idol era. Right. I'm, right. I'm exploring that in terms of mixing those type of songs with what's going on in music now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, Pharrell's album, I've thoroughly enjoyed. Oh yeah. Um, the Internet. Uh, you know, I was trying to get back in time for South by the Sea. They they show right. SOBs. Um, you know, that's that's what I'm that's where I'm at with it now. Right. I've been enjoying your tweets, man. Like I, I base <laughs> a lot of my question on your questions on your tweets. Oh, that's man. good, man. What do you think happened to this plane, man? Oh, the plane. Because I, I, I know you were tweeting about it, man. It's this this Mongolian yeah. plane. See, what Malaysian? Malaysian. Yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm I'm confused because my kids right now. Mm-hmm. Are in China, my, okay. my two oh. eldest sons. Oh, that's beautiful. And they were man. talking about how they were flying over the Mongolian uh, uh, mountain range. So, mm-hmm. so yeah, Malaysia. Yeah, um, you know what I was talking about on Twitter was not so much what I think happened, but the fact that we are speculating recklessly and wildly. Like when I watched, are the, we or is the, the news? I'm talking about the news cycle, the 24 hour news right. cycle. They need content. It's the same thing as what I was talking about with the content. Right. They need to be able to. You see, Anchorman too. I haven't seen it yet. All right. If they deal with that, the 24-hour news cycle, how they need to have something. And so I turn on the news, and what I've seen on the news so far, what they know has happened is zero. Zero. But they they keep talking about it like they know. So I'm hearing about these stolen passports as if that's not a, a... as if that's some sort of rare occurrence. Right. Mm. People mm-hmm. in that part of the world board planes with stolen passports all the time. Right. Why would you automatically or to c- connect that to what happened and talk about terrorism? It, it seems likely that it was terrorism. But you have to say that before you, it seems likely. I, I'm hearing people, people talk with authority about what has happened. When I start talking, when I started talking about it on Twitter, people sent me links to forums run by pilots and stuff like that. 
So being that I talked about it on Twitter, I got a little bit more insight once people started schooling me and, and educating me on a subject. And, you know, but yeah, it does seem like some foul play went on. But yeah, my initial question was, it just doesn't seem like in history this, this seems unprecedented. Apparently it's not. There was a flight, uh, Air France, that for two years, nothing was found. Right. You know, but it still seems like a rare enough occurrence. Is that the one that left Brazil? I'm not sure. Okay. Okay. Yeah, it was a couple years ago, a flight that left Brazil disappeared over the Atlantic. But but I think to myself, wait a minute, hold on for a second. We live in an era, forget about the 24-7 news, news cycle, we live in an era of 24-7, 365 surveillance. That's to see yeah. how, does something how does something disappear over a route like, that's as I got to be honest that. with you. Um, like the only place we look at is white folk never lose their money. Yeah, the only place we look <laughs> they at they know the where their first right? dime was and their last dime. Mm-hmm. It's just the surveillance thing is like, okay, yes, the the issues, the the things people said to me was, well, you know, the ocean, the currents, all that's right. But you're right. Before it hits the water, we don't have no clues. Well, Nothing. I was I was hearing something on CNN today that was saying that the technology that they had, it's easier to find a lost plane if it hits the water. So they're confused because the indicators are saying that it didn't hit the water, which is crazy yeah. to me. I feel like if it hit the water, something would have washed up by now. Right. Something. I mean, this is, but I'm, again, I'm no expert. Right, right, right. right I would right. defer to the experts. Right. And I, we told, we not the news, so we can speculate. Of course, of But course. the news, that's, the, that's what I was really tweeting about is like, how you on, new, how you on the news Talking. telling me your opinion? Right. You know what I'm saying? Like, I don't want your opinion. Mm-hmm. Tell me the facts. And, yes, and I mean, yes. wh- why they got to hide this plane when they already killed Ron Brown several years ago? <laughs> You know Dallas what I mean? When, once they killed Ron Brown, that was, he was the kingmaker. Yeah, man. Shoot. People forget about Ron Brown. I yeah. know, right? Another one of your tweets, man, is is you, you said, uh, this was directed at Nas, and you said, I, I, I don't, I, I can disagree with you without. That was a tweet Nas said. Okay. And I retweeted it. Well, I didn't realize, funny you brought that up. I thought Nas was just talking. Right. The tweet before that tweet was, feminism is the woman's mafia. Yes, and so he now he got in trouble. Right, I didn't know the backstory. Okay, mm-hmm. he got in trouble for that tweet. And you so and, the next, and you and them feminists. <laughs> the next tweet was I don't have to agree with you, respect you, without knowing the why he might have tweeted that. You, you, right. I retweeted it, thinking, right. oh yeah, that's a great point. Right. Okay, so so you because ba- I, 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 I know I thought you were no, I had no clue okay. until I read you know something online a couple days later right. about what Nas said. Um, you know. Um, but yeah, you know, while I may not agree with the first tweet, right. I definitely agree with the second. Yes, yes, you know yes, definitely. And I think the second one, what I agree about it, speaks to the first tweet. What okay. he said. Mm-hmm. Now, this this is another question, and, and it's a, it's a little bit more personal. And I think we we what's what happened with you and Jean Grey? Jean's Jean's been on the show, and and I, I invited you to the show, and you was like, I don't think she's fucking with me. <laughs> yeah, I mean, well, see, Jean Grey is somebody who. Uh, beyond being my favorite MC, right, has been my friend for a number of years, and you know since I was 14 years old. Mm. You know I, I've I've known Jean since before she had the name Jean Grey, right. and we've known each other far way before this music business. And she was the first artist that uh, Corey Smith and I brought into the Blacksmith situation. Uh, we put out a record with her, Knife Wonder. Um, but beyond the Blacksmith situation, um, me, you know I've been a, I've been a champion. For Jean Grey's cause, for you know, I mean, she's she's literally my favorite, right? And and you guys make such a great Bonnie and rap, Bonnie we, and Clyde. We do, and I, we 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 sound good together and all that. But you know, we've been friends for so long, right. That we've had these periods of time 
when we're not fucking with each other. Okay. You know what I'm saying? Just, like, just, like true friends. Yeah, like real friends. Right. And um, in a situation, I had a show that was a Black Star show, supposedly, at Brooklyn Bowl. That there was some confusion about who booked it and the money and all that. So the show didn't go down. Right. I had already booked my flight to come to New York. You know, I was already going to be in New York. I knew the fans would be disappointed. So I was like, I'm going to do turn it into like a quality and friends show. Okay. Um, Gene um, has been sort of moving away from the performing as a right. rapper, doing a comedy thing, you know, ro- rocking with y'all. Podcasting the whole And lot. so I asked you, but she was also at the time promoting a co- yeah. the, the record, the Gotham Down and the right. TV show. So I'd asked her to come and perform at this quality of friends thing, offered her a little bit of money. You know what I'm saying? Like, not a lot of money, right. but, you know. Something. Something. I didn't offer, you know, nobody else no money, right. you know, but, you know, Gene is, is fam like right. that. Of course. Um, She came, I was flying, because I was flying in, I landed late. I landed like two hours after I was supposed to land. Gene uh, was there ahead of me. The plan was for Gene to come and do a couple songs on my set. Right. Somehow there was some confusion. She ended up performing ahead of me. Right. Um, I think someone at the venue said, like, can you go on? She went on. She was upset about that. She right. was upset about thinking that she was coming to do two songs. And, and now she's ended up. into, in a sense, right. doing this show. Um. And she held me responsible for it because it was billed as quality of friends. Right. I disagree with her about it. Right. I feel like it wasn't my fault. I had nothing to do with that. I did the best I could. I'm really looking out. You know, I really, I'm really trying to look out. We had a very vicious argument about it. Okay. Where she said, where the end of the argument was like, I don't want to have anything to do with anything Javodi Media. Which I respect. Right. And so I'm representing Javodi Media. So when you said come do the show, I'm like, no, Gene says she <laughs> want nothing to do with Javodi Media. <laughs> so I'm respecting her right. wishes. But you know, like, you know, me and Gene, this is not the first argument we've had. Okay. It's not, not going to be the last. But it doesn't change the fact that as far as, as an artist and as far as an MC, it don't get better than Gene Gray. Right. Mm-hmm. And when we talk about that pure art, you know, and it's like, that, you know, that's what Gene is. And, you know, sometimes with people like that, they're so passionate about their craft and they, they, you know, it just that whatever I'm mad at Gene about is also what drives her to be a great MC. Right. So you got to you got to deal with it. Yeah. yeah. Thanks for explaining that. I yes, really appreciate no that. How's the foundation doing? The foundation is doing fine. We are moving upward to move forward again. And uh, we have a whole new slate of people, individuals coming with selfless attitudes and with the energy and the love for, you know, young people. We're trying to spread the word to the universe that young people need to have choices, and they need to have choices in, as far as the arts concerned. Right. And Dilla yes. lives. Dilla lives. Dilla lives. Yes, Dilla indeed. lives. Selfless attitude. Selfless, Selfless attitude. Yes. That's something that needs to be injected so much in this new generation. Yes, it's not about in. us. It's yeah. bigger than us. Yeah. You know, you know I, I, I just got to say, it's just amazing watching you do Dilla's work. Like, did you I, ever I even imagine? Oh, Dilla, big time. Right. You know, I how, mean. How, 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 how can you say you owe, I owe Dilla. you're his mom. Yes, but you know, he gave me so much. He was my my very best friend. Mm. You know, it was nothing that I could think of or desire to do in life that he didn't go 100 to make it happen. You know, I always took care of kids, wanted daycare. He didn't only get me one daycare center, but I had two daycare centers wow. going and daycare at my home at one time. It's all in Detroit You know, kids? full staff, Detroit kids. Bad yes. kids? Some. <laughs> But, you know, they all, you learn to love them all. Right, okay. And, and, uh, all of them? All of them. All of them. Even the, one, the, the pissy little one? Even those. You know, I have no problem changing diapers. <laughs> and, you know, it's a certain way that you can talk to that child and they'll come around. Right. And I, I got pretty good at that because I went to college for that. That was the one thing that really worked, mm-hmm. you know. So. How, how, do, how do you feel about we, we saying that? And I don't want to divert. Mm-hmm. How do you feel about how, you know, today's society is treating our kids? Well, 
the thing is, is that we had a breakdown for two generations of absent parenting, uh, not just because of the uh, family structure breaking up, but because of drug play, you know, getting caught up and not being able to raise our children. So they, we kind of like left them in the wind, and a lot of them fell through the cracks. But the thing is, is that when you make a mistake, you fix it. Mm. And we have just begun to try to fix things. But they're, they're still there. And though a lot of those children were having children very young, mm-hmm. and they had no guidance. So the mentorship is like just out of the roof of what we need, but they have to be given choices, you know, and you have to give them healthy choices that everybody can make a good life, be proud of what they do, raise their family, and feel like they're kings and queens because they are. We just haven't opened a door for them. So we have to give them an attitude and a mindset that they can accomplish whatever they dream. My Dukes, you're so positive. Yeah. <laughs> you're so positive. How, well, you know, how's my Dukes on a bad day? <laughs> on a bad day, I'm still good because the world shows me that they love me, and I love them all. Yeah. <laughs> love Listen, them all. if my Dukes wasn't so positive, Detroit would have fallen into the river by now. <laughs> you keeping you keeping the lights keeping on it in, up. That, in that well, city. You know, how, how people in Detroit? People in Detroit are good to me. Mm. You know, like, but I'm saying how and overall. And overall, spirits, I think the spirits is lifting on on many levels. Right. There, it's a long way to go, mm-hmm. but. We're going to do it, right. mm-hmm. you know, and I'm still there and I'm still there trying to help. We're right. holding up going to gardens. Combat, I, I made a trip to Detroit in 03 um, to see 50 Cent and Eminem at, mm-hmm. at the Ford Field. And I yes. got to see that city. Yes. And in Detroit still has a place in my heart because mm-hmm. I say anybody that comes from Detroit is, is so real. It, like folks that come from Philly, they, mm-hmm. they are all about hard work. There was a footlocker in the downtown. And the foot, the signage foot was falling off the building. <laughs> and I was like, man, how, how are you going to have in a city with black folk a foot locker shut down? Yeah. <laughs> like, like this is how hardcore it was. Yes. But it was, it was just an incredible city of, of, you know, you saw Renaissance Plaza. Yes. And then you saw these uh, skyscrapers with the windows out and stuff yes. like that. And yes. I said to myself, what, what, an, what an incredible juxtaposition of this country that's right you know yeah. so you got to be you got to be serious to come from detroit blight has no respect to person you know it can I just like happen that. anywhere i like that and and we just have to roll with it we have to want to make the best yes. of it and there are those that that want to make the best of yes. it i really yes. want to thank you thank you for, for coming coming by to the combat jack show this is really an honor hey, I'm, I'm just i'm honored i'm grateful very grateful and anything that helps to inspire someone and to get that word out there we got to keep it going like non-stop rocking i want you to do me a favor yes um anytime you want to promote something mm-hmm. let us know i most certainly will yes oh you to that no, thank you. <laughs> I, t- I tell you what, a comment but let's not let my dukes go are there any projects that the foundation has with some of those some of those dilla tracks that would would you consider letting some trusted artists mm-hmm. listen to them and maybe put something to them so that they could be released and, and, and given oh, to sure. the people. Oh, sure. We're, we're doing, we have many projects in on the table. Mm-hmm. We have to uh, zero in on what we're going to do. We're trying to rebuild our uh, website and uh, add all our new offices and new platforms and new soundboard people. And uh, someone like to live, I'm sure, would be the one that I would want to lean to. Well, that's beautiful. Yes. And, yes. and congratulations also. I, I understand that, that all that turmoil you went through, with the estate has been resolved. Yes, everything is going good. But, you know, I didn't wait for that. Right. I decided that 
after um, my husband passed away, I said, he waited like four years for something to come of this. And Dilla's been gone almost eight. I said, I'm not waiting. Hmm. And uh, I said, whatever, the, you know, however long it takes, sometimes probate can just drag. Because, right. I mean, after all the people that are working in, within the thing, they're not losing a night's sleep. Not at all. So I decided, I said, I'm going to live. If I live 10 days or 10 years, I'm going to live everyone happy and well. Mm. And that's what I decided to do, pick up my guns and do it and make sure that I Real do guns, all that. Not, I, not hey, guns. everything <laughs> that I can to, to make life better for somebody. Right. You know, because anything you do for somebody else is a selfless work and it's good. Mm-hmm. So, and, and so now there's no barrier between no you barrier. And, oh, no. and your my, son's no. work. No, because they're Excellent. not, you know, like... Well, you know that I've been giving back music and yes. everything from the archives of Dilla, and uh, and it's mine. It was given to me. Congratulations. Thank you. So, you know, I'll let nobody take nothing from it. There you go. <laughs> oh, Tell me, man, what else you want to promote, man? Oh, man, just, you know, life, liberty, happiness, good times, you know. <laughs> get, get a little bit more self, self, selfish. Man. What, what do you want um, to sell, man? Talk I mean, about. yeah, I mean, definitely, you know, gravitas for gravitas. anybody. Anybody who listens to this program is a fan of hip-hop. Yes, mm-hmm. And whether or not you are a fan of me in particular, I, I, I take the Pepsi challenge with my album Gravitas. I feel like you'll enjoy it. New Pepsi or old Pepsi? Uh, the, the, the Pepsi challenge. Okay. You know what mm-hmm. I'm saying? Like like Eric Stoltz in Pulp Fiction. <laughs> That's old Pepsi with old sugar. Pepsi. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. With real sugar. Real, real sugar. sugar. Cane sugar, right? Um, yeah. You know, um, Gravitas, you know, of course, we talked about it earlier, the, the, where you can come to the website, qualiclub.com and get it. Um, I appreciate it if you get it. But, it's, you know, it's got... Uh, underachievers on it. Nice. Uh, Raekwon the chef. We just shot a video for that joint. Mm. Uh, you know, uh, uh, Black Thought, Rod Digger, mm. um, Gary Clark Jr. from Austin, mm. Big Crit, um, Abby Dobson. Got tracks on there by Static Selector. Nice. Lord Quest, Rich Kid, both from Toronto. Oh no, you know, Six Sense, and of course, Jay Dillon. Nice. Okay. Well, congratulations, man. Once again, Thank man. Thanks for coming through. No doubt. And, and tell it, I, I want you to know, man, I, you always got an open invitation. Uh, I, just, I, I know that. Just hit me, come through. And I know let's, that. Let's, let's do the damn thing. Dallas. <laughs> Internets, man. I, I, uh, I'm I, so grateful. I, I got to tell you one last story, Mount Dukes. All right. Um, I picked up a T-shirt, uh, Dilla Changed My Life, mm-hmm. and I was wearing it in uh, Midtown, and uh, I got jumped what by size? a couple of kids. What size? <laughs> <laughs> Who was selling their CDs? They were like, "Brother, with that T-shirt on, I know you love hip hop." <laughs> and uh, but but Dilla lives. Dilla no lives. doubt. He Great does. to meet you. And uh, and thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Pete. Thank you. Like Dallas was saying, definitely. You know, with Ma to express your heart because uh, you know just continuing to keep the legacy alive and, and and just such a good spirit. You remind me so much of my mother, man. And thank and you. and, and uh, you know. I got to work even harder to make her proud now because it's just right. how, you know, you move and, and you're a great spirited woman. Well, Jay Dilla changed my life, so I get <laughs> no it. Doubt. So I, I don't, you know, I don't take anything for granted. When I see people, I used to look at it, I thought it was so endearing, but then he truly did because mm. I'm doing none of the things I used to do. I uh, have a reason for living Got a brand even more. Br- brand new career. Definitely. Amazing. Definitely. Thank you, Dilla. Thank thank you so much. Thank you, Dilla. Internet. Yes. You know what it is. Dream those dreams and man up and live those dreams because a life without dreams is black and white and the universe flows in technicolor and surround sound. What up, Dilla? F your radio. Combat Jackson. Cheer. Numenati!